Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You going to heaven, boy? You gonna get you a ticket to heaven and smoke all the crack cocaine you want? You mean I ain't gotta go to church no more? <laughs> Oh yeah, that's me. Okay, so uh, <laughs> we're uh, we're here on Conspiracy Normal. This is uh, whoop, whoop. this is Rob with his own microphone. Finally, yeah, Rob's got his own microphone. He's, now he can take my spot like permanently, dude. I can, I can, <laughs> There's no need for Luke anymore. <laughs> I, I could generally, I could uh, almost just like phase out completely. <laughs> Hey, you don't want to do that, man. You love us way too much. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, maybe I can take more naps now, though. <laughs> and, and also, too, I mean, this is, I mean, I know it's been three weeks, but this is two shows in a row you've been to. Right on. Uh, is... You proud of me? Got, I, your, I got went... your Yazoo beer in your head? Yeah, and... Yazoo spring season. Well, I suggest I recommend it. <laughs> and, you know, I, I went through hell and high water to get here today. <laughs> What'd you do this weekend? Uh, I climbed a mountain and man, man of adventure. Yeah, <laughs> this this beard and this long hair don't lie. This bandana I'm wearing. I just came home and uh, <laughs> I just I just came home and watched 300 Rise of Empire, watched a really crappy movie and, and passed out. But <laughs> I didn't have as much of a much of an adventure as you did, sir. Yeah, we, me and my girl. Been you play- do look really like Willie Nelson-ish right now, by the way. <laughs> well, like, I, like a- I lost my hat. Like, I don't really wear bandanas. I just lost my hat. And my hair won't stay out of my eyes, so I have to have something. That's not one of Bobby's old old dog's bandanas, is <laughs> no, it? No, yeah, I stole it from Bubs. <laughs> no. Oh, um, Bubs. <laughs> yeah, and then, then I had to hear, you know, like hours of heavy metal talk, like Queensryche and... And uh, like old school, like heavy metal talk from some English dude over there at the last house I just came from. 
He's like, oh, yeah, I mean, I really love Queensryche. Well, yeah. One of my best favorite bands from the United States. You so, know? so yeah, I play a Maverick. It's kind of like an, it's kind of like the Gibson Explorer. Yeah, it's got this on it. <laughs> all right, it's all the guitar worth so, right. buying. You know Alex Smith from Rush, man. He's one of my favorite. <laughs> Alex Smith. <laughs> uh, no, Al- Alex Liv, isn't that his name? Alex Lifeson. Come on, okay. man! You gotta know you gotta know your rush. <laughs> yeah, I don't know rush at all, man. I, no, I, like I respect them definitely as musicians. Like they're yeah. awesome. You know, they're awesome musicians. But I just I can't get into it. Man, you just you don't understand rush. I, I man. They're I just don't. such a deep band. <laughs> I guess I don't. They're just so profound. <laughs> anyway, tonight we have coming on uh, Walter Bosley. Uh, Walter's a new guest of the show. We're going to talk about his book series, like three book series. I've been reading them. Uh, pretty much non-stop over the last three weeks called Empire of the Wheel. And this is some, oh man, some interesting stuff. And we're going to talk about ritualistic occult murders, dealing with the goddess Hecate. We're going to be talking about, uh, hopefully talking about airships from the uh, late 1890s. Uh, possibly some of the, like the Nazi bell stuff. And, and somehow all this is all tied in together. Uh, the Zodiac Killer, which uh, Rob had a chance to look at some of the stuff and uh, some other murders and all the stuff that's been going on in the uh, what's called the Inland Empire in, Cal- in Southern California, which is the cities of San Bernardino and Riverside, which is where uh, <clears throat> our guest lives. So we're going to be talking about that tonight. But first, uh, I wanted to read a story that came... I've got another story to read in the outro. I've already had Luke practice his brill for it. But I thought this was interesting. <laughs> Eight real-life clown horror stories that are horrifying and unfortunately completely true. Everyone knows that clowns are completely terrifying. The hair, the makeup, the inevitable desire to kill. No wonder American Horror Story has set its new season in a carnival. Some of my very favorite horror movies are about clowns, but there are some equally disturbing clown stories that are all too true. And Luke, I know you love clowns. Oh, yeah. All right, Pogo. Firstly, the most terrifying and famous clown of all time, John Wayne Gacy. The rapist and serial killer worked several children's parties as Pogo the Clown and killed over 33 people, burying most of them in the crawl space under his house. He was executed in 1994. It's my garden of children. (laughs) Klutzo. (coughs) Amon Paul Klutzo Carlick Jr. of Springfield, Illinois, a clown and former minister, entertained thousands of children in Sunday school and other Christian initiatives around the world. When he returned from clowning at an orphanage in the Philippines, Carlock was stopped at a routine check at the airport, as the country was a danger zone for child sex trafficking. Probably still is. Authorities found photos of small naked boys on his camera and laptop and unearthed more depraved child pornography when they raided his house. Several young boys testified against him for his acts of abuse. 4. Leader of Mexican cartel murdered by a clown. No, really, last year Fox reported... Francisco Rafael Ariano Felix, the eldest brother of Mexico's once feared Ariano Felix drug clan, was shot to death in the Baja Beach resort of Los Cabos by a gunman wearing a clown costume. <clears throat> Interesting. Hopefully it was part of a drug-related dispute and not the beginning of a murderous clown rampage. 5. The Harlequin. The Harlequin is a recurring figure in children's stories and horribly similar to the Slender Man. The Harlequin has a white face, long limbs, and black eyes, and is only visible to children under six. Children have reported a high-pitched laugh, a laugh and a damp, fresh smell like summer rain. It's comforting. <laughs> six, Zazabi. In the early 1900s, 
Frederick Zazabi Zozabi moved to Liverpool, UK from his native Czech- Czechoslovakia. Liverpool. Zazabi killed himself, but children reported seeing his ghosts even a century later. In 2002, two children were woken by strange laughter, seeing a clown spirit pointing straight at them. He had eyes like the hollows in the skull and a long bent nose. Although he did not hurt the children, he left behind a sickly sweet odor that adults at the scene later identified as the smell of embalming fluid. 7. The Clown Murder 10.45 a.m., 26 May, 1990, Marlene Warren answered her door to a clown bearing two silver balloons and a bunch of flowers. Before she could speak, the clown shot and killed Marlene with a thirty-eight caliber revolver. Marlene's ex-husband was suspected, but the case remains unsolved. 8. The Life-Size Clown Doll Okay, so this one's an urban legend, but it's too freaky to ignore. Rumor goes that a young teen was babysitting for some wealthy parents in California. They gave her free reign of the house, but requested she watch TV in the far room so as not to wake the children. She did as asked, but not gradually more... They got gradually more and more creeped out by the life-size clown doll in the corner of the room. Hours went by, and the vacant gaze of the clown doll became too much to bear. She called the kid's mother, asking if she could watch TV in another room, explaining that their giant clown doll was scaring her. The mother gasped and then said to her, Get the kids out of the house. We don't own a life-size clown doll. <laughs> yeah, that gave me chills. I, I'm terrified of clowns. I'm not, I'm not gonna lie, they they freak me out in a way. A that lot I can't of people describe. are terrified of clowns, man. Yeah, it's, it's not really a fear for me. It's just an I just don't understand what the appeal would ever be <laughs> to a clown. Yeah, yeah, to want to want to be a clown, or on the other yeah. side, the flip side, like why would anybody want to watch them? <laughs> like they're not entertaining. <laughs> well, you, you know, I think you had like a story, someone that you knew that. Uh, my, had some my, problems with some. Yeah, with, uh, has my, a real fear of clowns. My ex girlfriend got raped by a clown. That's messed up. Man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's that's probably the roughest uh, childhood story I think I've ever heard from any of any person I've ever talked to, for that matter. Anybody. You know, I heard a story about John Wayne Gacy, and they were talking about he how he did. You know, that's one of the things that he did was he was a. He was like really big in the community, and he was do the children's parties, dressed as dressed as Pogo the clown. And they said that, uh, and he he was into killing like young men, like around I think ages like fifteen to like twenty was like the ages he liked, and you know he'd rape them and kill them, stash them in the basement. This real pleasant stuff. And one of the guys said that. He got the best of Gacy somehow, or something happened that Gacy got frustrated, and he was still in clown in, in his clown makeup, and was trying to go after him. And he said that Gacy was sitting there, growling at him in his clown makeup, just like can you imagine? <laughs> it's just it's just horrible. <laughs> but I think that's uh, I think Gacy's really the reason why clowns are so feared now. I think that's one of the reasons because that can, that got into the. Because I think Stephen King picked up on that. Right. That Gacy would dress up like a clown. Even though he didn't kill anybody ever dressed as a clown that we know of. I like to hear the screams and the lamentations of the children. <laughs> oh, the children. <laughs> and so, for, you know, Stephen King's It, you know, the character Pennywise. Which they're redoing. Yeah, that's what I hear. And then, you know, Tim Curry's performance in that movie, like the, the miniseries in the early 90s, that, you know, horrified everybody. Probably so there's like from. a whole generation, I think, that has grown up like with a real fear of clowns. <laughs> Anything to add to that, Mr. Lukey? 
Oh, I I hate them myself. That's pretty much it. I mean, I mean, okay, like I hate clowns. I, I was reading a little bit of history of clowns, you know, on like Wikipedia, mm-hmm. and they were talking about how, you know, of course, you know, before on any kind of media or whatever, they uh, they acted out things and they would sword fight with each other and yeah. they uh, put makeup as they put makeup on for different facial expressions and stuff like that. And it seems like it's it's a bit different back then. I mean, you know. Times have changed so much, and, and like the the way people think has changed so much that clowns are just like outdated. <laughs> you know, to yeah, me, it's kind to of me. become passe. Yeah, yeah. And for me, I think it's kind of like a mimes don't bother me so much, but clowns yeah. that have like a they look like a caricature of like your typical sociopath to me. Like they're just right. they're just disgusting, and I, uh, I can't even describe right how deeply it bothers me. I wonder how much of a fear, like, I mean, I would say America or the United States, but, like, you know, this Western culture is probably full of all these, like, horror movie motifs. And another one would be, like, the movie Poltergeist, right? Which is being, has also been remade. And the whole, like, little clown figure that attacks the kid in it, you know. So these kind of, like, motifs, like Pennywise and that thing, and those things that go into people's kind of, like, collective unconscious. But I wonder if in other cultures that are not as exposed to, like, American horror movies, whether or not that is, you know, clowns are not as feared. I wonder if it's actually, there is an actual real fear of clowns, or we've somehow made a fear of clowns because of our, you know, our Vermedia and our popular culture. Right. Yeah. If, if you if you grow up seeing those, those horror films and everything, of course you're going to be scared right. of them. Right. Exactly. So, it, it, I would be interested to know, like, what another culture would, if there's anybody that has, like, a real fear of clowns in some other culture. In France, they're probably, like, they probably think they're awesome. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Like, was... They all have their cell phones out, like, filming them on the street corner. Yeah. Look at the clown! We are all Sounds more like Norwegian. Yeah, like. <laughs> oh, well, okay. My French is a little rusty. <laughs> oh, we oui, oui. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we'd like to remind everybody we're now on the Intrepid Paradigm Broadcasting Network, IPBN, along with Fringe Radio Network. So there's two places you can listen to us. Uh, supposedly at some point we're going to be streaming on IPBN. Uh, don't know the time yet. Um, but of course, you know, if you downloaded this, probably not a reason to really listen, but it will be there streaming for anybody. And I'm sure they will announce it on their website as well. But, uh, I think if, uh, you guys are ready, we'll go ahead and take a little break and we'll get to the interview. Word. All right. Well, we'll bring on Walter Bosley, talk about the empire of the will. All right. Uh, we're back. Sometimes, uh, tele time zones and telephone lines get mixed up. Mm-hmm. And uh, we do have Walter Bosley coming on, but he will be on a little later. Not that it matters for anybody listening to the to the pre-record, but <clears throat> so we thought uh, Luke had some uh, grievances about the uh, electric company um, that he um, wanted to uh, he wanted to voice. I'm always ranting about something. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something always pisses me off. I don't know. It's we, just day to day. We were talking about fluoride and. What was that story you were telling Rob about uh, somebody was yelling at you about fluoride in the water? Oh yeah, I back in back when I decided to be like kind of a hippie activist phase, you know, mm-hmm. it 
You got it, the look right now, by the way. You can see. It it didn't last very long, like I, but you know, I, I was all like passionate about fluoride and water and stuff like that, and you know, I, I know, I do know for a fact. I don't care who challenges me about it that that it is it's unnecessary. It's not. It shouldn't be in the water supply. There's really no reason for it, for our health benefit. You can go to the International Fluoride Research Group's website, and you can read all of their controlled studies. Yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. I don't know about actually, you guys. Actually, but. Spring Hill, uh, close to where we are, banned it in the water supply. Now, I heard that. I don't know if that's actually been implemented. Yeah, of course, the rich people. Yeah, okay, the rich yeah. people get it taken out. People don't, the rich people don't get the fluoride in the water, my friend. Oh, they're missing out, though. The elitists don't get that. Those are your guys, man. Yeah, those, are, those are your guys. They're the ones to, making the decisions, dude. I know. Those are, those are your eugenics guys, those are, our king, those are our kings. That's the king in his cabinet. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're trying to make sure that you don't have to wait in traffic. <laughs> I appreciate them. <laughs> Love them. Well, I got another story that uh, I was going to read this a little later, but we'll read it now. I just thought this was really, uh, really interesting. And we got some more clown stuff we're going to read here in a second. But couple arrested for selling tickets to heaven. <laughs> and if you could see these people, man, like this guy, like look at this guy. He's got like, you know, oh, the, yeah. the woman's kind of normal, you know, uh, but the, the guy's got like skid marks on his face or some crap, man. I, you know, look, the, Obviously the prophets. <laughs> oh, they, they look like they yeah. are. All right. This is via viral stupid, by the way. <laughs> this could be one of those, like, you know, fake stories, but who knows. Tito and Amanda Watts were arrested over the weekend for selling golden tickets to heaven to hundreds of people. The couple who sold the tickets on the street for $99.99 per ticket told buyers the tickets were made from solid gold and each ticket reserved the buyer a spot in heaven. Simply present the ticket at the pearly gates and you're in. People can sell tickets to heaven, a Jacksonville police spokesman said, but the Watts misrepresented their product. The tickets were just wood spray painted gold with Ticket to Heaven, Admit One, written in marker. <laughs> you, it on. you can't sell something as gold when it's not. That's where the Watts crossed the line into doing something illegal. Tito Watts said in his police statement, and I'm going to turn it over to Luke. I gotta do the redneck chick you voice. Do, you gotta, yeah, you gotta do the redneck, just like crazy person voice. I don't care what. No, the no, 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 no. It's not a chick. It's not a chick. <laughs> it says Amanda Watts said. In Tito the, oh, Watts. That's, that's her down there. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's Tito. Yeah, you, you're reading for Tito. I don't care what the police say. The tickets are solid gold. It ain't cut up two by fours. I spray painted gold, and it was Jesus who gave me them tickets behind the KFC and, t- and told me to sell them, and I could get me some money to go to outer space. I met an alien named Stevie, who said that if I got a cash together, he'd take me and my wife on a flying saucer to its planet that's made entirely of crack cocaine. Crack cocaine. You could smoke all the crack cane- cocaine you want there. It's totally free. So try to send an innocent man to jail and see what happens. You should arrest Jesus because he's the one that gave me the golden tickets and told me to sell them. I got the golden ticket. I'm willing to wear a wire and set Jesus up. <laughs> he's willing to wear a wire and set Jesus up, folks. That's So Amanda Watts said in her police statement, we just wanted to leave Earth and go to space and smoke and smoke rock cocaine. What's wrong with that? I didn't do nothing. Yeah, Tito just, said the golden tickets sold the golden tickets to heaven. I just watched. Just leave them alone. 
Let them do the crack cocaine. <laughs> so police said they confiscated over $10,000 in cash, five crack pipes, and a baby alligator. <laughs> Which, well, that means that means over 100 people bought yes. two-by-fours from these guys. Yes. <laughs> people actually bought them. Are you, you shitting me? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you going to heaven, boy! You going to get you a ticket to heaven and smoke all the crack cocaine you want! You mean I ain't got to go to church no more? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus met me behind the KFC. Because <laughs> that's where Jesus hangs out. Yeah, that's, that's not even the best chicken you can get in town. Like, <laughs> why? <laughs> well, you think you should be hanging out behind churches? Yeah, no, no. It should be at like 300 degrees or Hattie B's or something. Well, like. that's not in Nashville, though. That's not here. No, that's, well, that's somewhere else. Well, I'm just saying rhetorically, if you were in Nashville... <laughs> What chicken would Jesus eat? <laughs> the best chicken. You think Jesus would settle for some kind of fast food quality chicken? Like, no, dude. No, no, man. All had to be well, hot maybe, chicken. Maybe he's just maybe he's just hanging out there. You know, he go to his planet, go to his planet where he, uh, you know, we can de- de- well, deconstruct this, right? Well, once he gets on crack cocaine, you don't know where on earth he's teleporting to. <laughs> so Jesus gave him the tickets behind the KFC. And then he meets an alien named Stevie, who said that if he got the cash together, he'd take his wife and he'd take himself and his wife on a flying saucer to a planet that's made entirely of crack cocaine. And, and obviously, you can smoke all the crack cocaine you want there, and it's totally free because you know, of course, the planet's made out of crack cocaine. I mean, well, what what else can you ask for? But they should arrest Jesus for giving him those tickets. I'd like to see him being qu- be questioned a little bit anyway. I think this is what happens when people are supposed to be mental institutions are out on the street. <laughs> I like the fact that the only reason he got in trouble is because he was selling two-by-fours. <laughs> selling tickets <laughs> to heaven and talking about crack cocaine and <laughs> everything else. No, I mean, yeah, well, I, I, wonder, I wonder if they drug-tested the guy. I mean, might not have happened. We were talking about clowns before. And uh, this is going to scare Rob half to death, but uh, Luke already has read this, but I wanted to share it with everybody. This is from a book called Weird U.S. A lot of people may be familiar with this, but uh, I thought since we got some time here, we'd talk about it. In the spring of 1981, Boston, Massachusetts appears to have been the port, port of entry for a strange new version of the Pied Piper story. During the first week of May, some individuals in multicolored clothes began trying to entice school children into coming along with them. School committees, area police, and scores of parents were openly discussing reports in the local newspapers of clowns and vans bothering children. On May 6, 1981, the police responding to persistent complaints warned that men in clown suits were harassing elementary school children. One of the men was seen wearing a clown suit just from the waist up. From the waist down, he was naked. <laughs> According to reports, the clown had driven a black van near Franklin Park in the Roxbury area of Boston between 4 and 6 p.m. He also appeared in the Jamaica Plain neighborhood of Boston near the Mary E. Curley School a day earlier in the adjoining city of Brookline. (laughs) Two clown men apparently had tried to lure children into their van with offers of candy. The Brookline police had a good description of the van, older model, black, with ladders on the side, a broken front headlight, and no hubcaps. After the clown men and van had been seen near the Lawrence Elementary School in Brookline, the police told school administrators to be extra cautious. 
the previous I, week, investigator. I can't, I can't stop thinking about. I can't the stop guy thinking with the about no pants. He's like he's like running down the road like fapping with just half a clown suit on, like 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 chasing children around. Like. <laughs> Not the least bit disturbing, is it? The, pre- the previous week, investigative counselor Daniel O'Connell, the Boston Public School District, had sent a memo to the district's elementary and middle school principals. He wrote. It has been brought to the attention of the police department and the district office that adults dressed as clowns have been bothering children to and from school. Please advise all students that they must stay away from strangers, especially ones dressed as clowns. By May 8th, reports of clown men in vans harassing children had come in from East Boston, Charlestown, Cambridge, Canton, Randolph, and other cities near Boston. Police were stopping pickup trucks and vans with clowns delivering birthday greetings and clownograms. But no cl- child molesters were arrested. Frustrated policemen, clownogram. Frustrated policemen pointed out that virtually all the reported sightings originated with children aged five to seven. The headline in the May 9th issue of the Boston Globe told the story: "Police discount reports of clowns bothering kids." The public had been calmed, and that was the end of the story, or so the papers would have have would have had us believe. However, 50 miles south of Providence, Rhode Island. Similar reports were coming to the attention of psychiatric social workers canceling the city's youth. Perhaps these are spillovers from Boston, but subsequent reports are more difficult to dismiss. The focus of activity shifted a thousand miles west to Kansas City, Kansas, and Kansas City, Missouri. On May 22nd, a yellow van on the Missouri side stopped by two girls who ran screaming from the knife-wielding clown inside. Dozens of similar reports came in involving six different elementary schools, and by that afternoon, police cruisers were trailing the yellow van across town. The calls did not taper off until 5 o'clock that afternoon. The previous week in Kansas, school children said a clown had chased them home from school and threatened them if they didn't get into his van. Some reports claimed that the clown brandished a sword instead of a knife. Jesus. Before long, the killer clown affair spread to the Hill District of Pittsburgh and became tied up with reports of someone wearing a pink and white rabbit costume in a blue van and other weird stories involving a costumed Spider-Man joining forces with a gorilla and a clown in Arlington Heights, Pennsylvania and trying to entice a boy into a vehicle. I began to sense that we were in the midst of a major flap of a new phenomenon. Though the 14, through the 14 Underground... I was able to ascertain the depth and breadth of the Phantom Clown drama. Phantom Clowns in at least six major cities spanning over a thousand miles of America in the space of one month is quite a mystery. Were the clowns and vans being sighted elsewhere in the United States? Are they still being seen? Only time will tell. But new reports keep popping up, and one of the most recent ones comes via 14 researcher Richard Hendricks. The Wisconsin State Journal of Madison reported on June 20, 2000, a man dressed in a complete clown costume and holding three helium balloons tried to lure children into woods near the King James Court apartments at about 12.30 p.m. Monday, Ugh. Fitchburg police said. Dude. Then, two days later, the Wisconsin State Journal ran this article. Suspicious clown had unique face paint. Fitchburg police investigating a man in clown costume who tried to lure children into the woods on Monday have concluded he is not a legitimate clown. Detective Todd Setzer, who said he's learned a lot about clowning since the man appeared near, near the King James Court apartments, said the man's black face paint set him apart from any of three mainstream styles of clown costumery. That's extremely, extremely unique, he said. It isn't a legitimate style of clowning, which kind of leads us to believe the person was using it as a costume only for this purpose, enticement. 
The denizens of the netherworld have apparently dreamed up a new nightmare to shock us. Leagues of phantom clowns and vans have now joined the scores of 14 ufological and flying saucer people. The cosmic joker is alive and well and living in a clown suit. And that's by Lauren Coleman. Who also is a Bigfoot researcher. Recited well, my friend. Thank you, sir! <laughs> do, you, do you remember the, uh, the poet that was like saying the lyrics of that song I showed you where the teenagers were like jumping around and like they're like dry humping each other in the woods and stuff like that. <laughs> what? <laughs> the, the metal video. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah. And then what? and then and then the guys like reciting it as poetry afterward. Okay, here's a question for you, Luke. Okay, as a metal fan, sure. And I know that you enjoy the black metal genre. Absolutely. Is there a link between the face makeup in the black metal genre? You know what I'm talking about, uh-huh. like a big like. Diamonds or whatever they have. Golgoroth. You're talking Maybe. about. You're talking about Emperor. Yeah. yeah is there? Is, oh, what was like Demi Brigier, All those guys. Uh, all that stuff. Oh, there's a bunch of them. Okay. <laughs> is there a link between that and clowns? Oh, no. No, I don't. I would say no, because um, it it's it just gives someone more of a mystique, you know, like because black metal started getting. Started, um, you know, getting attention around the early '90s, yeah. and and uh, someone with face paint on or some type of mask covering up their their face hides their identity. And anybody like that, and that's that's the feel that they're going for is mystique in their music. You know, they want to be like fucking. Oh, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Yeah, right. They, they want they want to be like like wood. We're and, an IPBN man. I mean, yeah. right? Yeah, we, we're moving up now. We can curse. No, no, but like. They they want to be like you know wood imps or like <laughs> ah, I got you okay. you know so they're they're going for the mystique I, I kind of have to disagree with that I think that is the, the whole like the same thing as what clowns are well yeah this I it's guess kinda, it's true it's kind of a mystique uh, sort of a well maybe portraying a different like you know side of humanity but clowns are supposed to be going for happy and and black metal musicians are supposed to be going right. for sadness and hate well, well, what about <laughs> what about the whole um you know insane clown posse and the whole juggalo thing um, you know what you know what, what about it, that and the, gave, all the clown symbolism of course this clown symbolism that's it gave that. that group man like it gave that entire group of um of society like a place like it gave yeah. them a place in society like all all of the juggalos you know <laughs> yeah, back, back to, i mean back before back before juggalo was a thing like those were the kids wearing like the jinko jinkos in the slipknot shirts yeah. and stuff yeah, in high school yeah, you know yeah. and then the juggalo thing came along and that gave them all a place you know it, it gave it gave them all, they they had now they had their own gang i know still, some of them dress in that clown makeup i'm though? still baffled yeah. by how many juggalo tattoos i see and people like to this day it's like how <laughs> the little hatchet man thing yeah, exactly. is going on <laughs> I, I met some cool ones and then I met some like real loser ones hey man can I borrow 10 bucks like every day you know so so <laughs> you know I'm not judging them I, Dude, think, I think they're alright you, you could throw like kiss in with that whole like yeah sure kind of theme too all the yeah. makeup and yeah. stuff yeah I mean you know look, look at that that stage presence is what makes people remember you, because like you know, I, going to all these metal shows throughout the years, like you know, I'm I'm not gonna remember a bunch of guys like even if the music is decent, like that are just standing there, 
you know, static in place, you know, not yeah. moving very much. Even if they do indie a, rock bands. Yeah, even if they do a great job. <laughs> Yeah, they're but, entertainers at the end of the day. They, yeah. they entertain, that's what they do. Most right. hipster bands do that. There's the guys with ascots. Yo, man, I, I want to... Every every person, if you if you guys do this, any person that goes to a show and then just sits there and head bobs the entire... Like, okay... You, <laughs> that's me. You can, you can head... You, okay, no, no, no problem, dude. You can head bob at a show where, oh God, I'm where, so the, where, it's, where it's like calm music. You know, yeah. like lullaby, like go to sleep kind of music, you know? But like if you're going to a, a show... Where it's like upbeat, you know, like fast paced, you know, you, you need to do more than head bob. <laughs> You'd rather get in the mosh pit and mess somebody up, right? Yeah, I, I like that. I'll only get in the mosh pit if the music moves me enough to do so. Yeah. And, you know, if it's heavy enough. And I'm, I'm a death metal fan. But. Well, there's a movie. Uh, I'm sure, I think you've seen it. It's a 30 minute movie that some guy did, like the Gathering of the Juggalos. Yeah, that was <laughs> they, awesome. They were, it's called American Juggalo. And there's some people there, it was just kind of a weird assortment. And of course, you had people that were just like uh, really like on the fringes of society. Yeah, some yeah of that's, them that's what I was trying to say. Some of them were real drug addicts, and then you had like some guy that was talking about. And, and of course, you know, you got the word, you, you know, you got the word "fuck" every other word some of these people's mouth. You know, that's why yeah. my mom used to call them. She's like that band that says "fuck" all the time. Were you big? Were you big into Insane Clown Posse? Yeah, I was about fifteen. You know, <laughs> yeah, man, <laughs> for about a year or so. Right. Uh, miracles, miracles, magnets, magnets, rainbows. <laughs> I should play that at the end of the podcast. <laughs> it, it, it gave it gave all the outcasts a place, man. Yeah, it really you know, did. A family. It really did. Yeah, so uh, it's an interesting movie. If anybody, if it's still online, I'm sure it is. It's like 30 minutes. It's somebody that went to the gathering of the Juggalos. I think it happens like <laughs> Illinois every year. Or yeah, something. It's, it's hilarious. Yeah, it, it's interesting. So and there's, funny. A, well, there's another guy that's talking about how like there's a guy that he met that's like a brain surgeon that goes to this <laughs> thing every year. You know, and he's a Juggalo. My name is Philip Douglas. I'm yeah. a brain surgeon. And then I you love had like Juggalos. you had like some mom that's like, oh wow, we love the Juggalo movement, and we got our kids here. Yeah, and all, you know, they've all got the you know the the, the clown face. Her, paint her daughter's and stuff just butt and, naked running around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> take her here to let her get her out of her system <laughs> she comes back home it's our little girl it's probably no different than most of those edm shows yeah, <laughs> yeah you got that right the, the gathering of the gathering of, of the edm chicks but speaking of movies and um, burnouts and we'll take a break here in a second I, I watched a, i watched a good movie and luke you're gonna you're gonna see this here pretty soon but uh called kill the messenger and this movie came out last year it just came out on dvd and it's about um it's about gary webb who was a reporter for it was like some small paper i think it was like san jose in california and in the 90s he wrote this expose on drug running that was done by well they were trying to support the contras in nicaragua during that whole era and they were running cocaine and they were letting the cia basically was letting guys run cocaine into the united states so they could raise money to buy weapons because congress wasn't going to let they weren't going to support the war down there because of vietnam and some other things a lot of background to that but they were going to try to that and that really like speaking of crack cocaine that started that whole epidemic and uh he kind of got involved with seeing all these people that were um 
government informants, but they were also major drug dealers in kind of like the Colombian and in the Nicaraguan drug cartels. And then there was another guy named, um, his name was uh, Rick Ross. He was like this gang, <laughs> he was like this gangster down in L.A. and he was selling, he was selling crack cocaine. And his contacts and people that he was buying from were all the Nicaraguans and how the, the, the CIA was involved with it. Uh, also in the movie is how the CIA harassed Gary Webb to the point that a lot of people think that Gary Webb took himself out in 2004. They think he killed himself to the point that they either they directly killed him or they just harassed him so much right. that he killed himself. If you, I mean, like, I'm sure... You know, you got your FBI or you got your police, you know, at the bottom, and they're all like bros. You know, we've yeah. seen that firsthand. And, right. And, and then you've seen that firsthand. And, and, right. and then, and then a step up the FBI. I'm sure like they're bros that were just promoted. Yeah. And then uh, you got the CIA, and then they're just like the ultimate bros. Yep. <laughs> and and the, the truth, yeah, and then the, the, it's all really is kind of like the boys' club, right? Because it's all. It's it's all the secret society yeah. stuff and all this kind of esoteric and occult stuff that they're all into, when really what it is is just this whole big boys club that they get together and they try to make it something that it really, you know, the esoteric stuff and all that. We're gonna talk about that with Walter Bosley a little bit, but this, just that boys club and bringing in, you know, him himself was. Gary Webb was just shocked, and he was portrayed in the movie that he was shocked that this was going on. The CIA was just allowing that to happen, and they were bringing drugs into the United States as a means of raising of, re, of raising revenue. And actually, um, at the end of last year, uh, there was a plane that crashed. I think it was in Mexico, and it had like tons of cocaine in it, and it was a CIA plane. And it's not too hard to believe in some ways because in... Oh, no, no, it's not hard to believe at all. In Vietnam, in like really before the Vietnam War really started going, there was this whole thing called Air America where the CIA was supposedly going in and they were giving aid to rebels in Laos and, 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 uh, South, and in Laos against the communists in that country. And they were supporting it. And one, but one of the things they were bringing out was heroin. Mm-hmm. into the United States because the um, you know Indochina Vietnam Cambodia Laos that area was called the Golden Triangle and the reason it was called that was because that was all where the where the drugs were coming from <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, and speaking of heroin too uh, someone I don't know if you saw the news but someone around here a dealer like a major dealer in this area has been putting I'm, I'm going to have to look it up because I can't remember the, the term medically but um, it is like a really strong morphine patch that they give to people like an emergency. They go to the ER, uh-huh. you know, with like trauma. Uh-huh. They've been combining that with the heroin, and it's already taken like five or six lives around yeah. here. Jeez, I heard about that. It was like six six deaths in a matter of a couple weeks. Or uh-huh. And you know, heroin's like one of the, that's like one of the worst things that you can do. Oh yeah, because you do you literally do it one time and then you're hooked on it. Yeah. There's another movie that came out a few years ago called American Gangster with uh, Denzel Washington. And, you know, the, it, it portrays that guy. He plays a drug dealer that brought heroin into the United States. But it, he was bringing heroin in from caskets from dead U.S. In dead US soldiers. <laughs> but that was all part of it, you know. Um but that, like was a, in, that was a guy, not, a, not an organization. Yeah, that was, was a guy that was doing that. Right, right. <laughs> 
and especially an organization that's supposed to have the the interest of the country. Yeah. The, you know, the, the interest of the country is what's best, but no, the, really their interest is what's best. So they could ju- they could say and justify it. I mean, that was the whole, uh, it, a lot of it came up in the, in the late 80s with the Iran-Contra thing. Um, are you familiar with Iran-Contra, what happened there? <laughs> like they were, they were supporting the Nicaragua. In Nicaragua, they were uh, fighting against these, what they believed were, were communists, and they're called the Sandinistas. And they had the Contras, which they said were the were the freedom fighters against this. They didn't want another Cuba to happen in the Western Hemisphere, especially in a place where uh, we had so much influence. And so they were bringing in, but the United States Congress would not support it. Like I said, because of Vietnam, because of a few things, they would not support sending in um, arms to the Contras. So they were getting around that by selling um, arms to Iran, which was ostensibly our enemy, right? That they were saying was our enemy. And they were funneling that through, through the Israelis to, buy the, to, to facilitate buying those arms. Okay. That's, that's too complicated, man. And, and, yeah, it, it does. It gets complex. <laughs> but in one of the hearings, okay, because it got, it got revealed that, you know, the CIA had been doing this. They had made this deal to try to fund the Contras in, in Nicaragua. Well, in one of the hearings, they started talking about the drug aspect to it. And there's actually footage you can see of them, of them saying we don't need to, you know, like telling congressmen and senators, we're not going to continue this line of questioning. This is national security. We're not going to talk about this. You can actually see that in the bullshit. In the, uh, I think it's on YouTube. But uh, uh, Gary Webb uh, exposed a lot of that stuff in the in the in the nineties. And began to be harassed by the CIA, and also the people that there was a guy named uh, Michael Rupert that knew Gary Webb, and also knew that this stuff was going on. And the CIA director actually came to South Central LA, you know, like the whole what's classically you know like the the time period of like NWA and all those guys, and, <laughs> you, you know, Ice T and all that stuff. <laughs> All that stuff was going on. There was an actual, like, a a community meeting there. And they, the CIA director was there. Well, Michael Rupert gets on there, and this this is also on YouTube, too, and challenges him and says, I'm an ex, uh, he was an ex-LAPD cop, and he said, I know this is going on. I know the CIA has been running drugs into this country, specifically into Los Angeles, and I know that you guys have been doing that. And now... In 2014, 2015, this stuff has been coming out that they've been doing this stuff. And when, for first that they had denied it. And they have also have admitted that they harassed Gary Webb. They harassed him. So either they harassed him to the point where he committed suicide or somebody actually did kill him. Mm-hmm. And when we talked about, I think a couple of shows ago, we talked about this uh, guy that... 
actually flew planes into the United States, flew drugs into the United States. He was American, and he flew drugs from Central America into the United States, and he was going to reveal... He had some also some information about 9-11 that he was going to reveal, and he was going to reveal some stuff, and then all of a sudden, he ends up dead. His kids end up dead. His wife ends up dead. His dog ends up dead. Yeah, because this was, the, a, this was like the a two dog's going to talk, ago. dude. Right. It's good that he finished him off. Well, the dog's going to bark. Yeah. And alert somebody. <laughs> that's that's the reason. <laughs> what, what did you say, boy? <laughs> oh, they're flying drugs in the CIA, huh? How do you know this? <laughs> <laughs> oh really? So you got all this kind of you got all this kind of cloak and dagger stuff. There's a guy named uh, Peter Dale Scott. You know, I want to try to get on. He's kind of an older gentleman, but he talks a lot about the deep state. This idea that, uh, well, basically that intelligence agencies are just going to do what they want to do. Yeah, I totally believe it. If, if they have the power to, which they absolutely do, yeah, and they have the tools to, and it benefits them, why wouldn't they? Yeah, right. Like they don't care about us as individuals. It, they care about yeah. the system. Eighty percent and their, their investment in the system. Eighty percent of the population, including myself, is just like dancing around with their beers and woo. And woo seven, yeah, we uh, got Ben Lund. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. We, yeah, we have a good old time, you know. While while people like Adam are like getting to the meat and potatoes of, <laughs> of what's going on yeah, in the man, backdrop. Uh, and they fight each other too. I mean, look at this whole Eric Snowden thing. I mean, look. Oh, was it no Edward Snowden? Sorry. There's people out there that think that uh, what was going on with that was that he was actually in the CIA and he actually was tasked to kind of embarrass the NSA. So there's all these uh, these all these rivalries that are going on, like between the FBI, the CIA, mm-hmm. the NSA, and the CIA, the C- NSA, and the FBI. It's just all this big. It's just all this big mess. And like the you know the intelligence agencies are, are really, in my opinion, are really what control this country, because I think people like, um, well, 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 look at you know look at look at but like the first Bush. You know, he was all, that guy was all CIA. You know, he'd, he'd become director of the CIA. There's a lot of people that point him back to being involved in the CIA as far back as, like, the Bay of Pigs. There's some people that tie him in with the Kennedy assassination, which was all kinds of, which was, in my opinion, if not a CIA operation, then definitely a breakaway of the CIA that, that did it, a rogue element that was tasked to do it, okay? I think that's pretty much been... Um, been settled by like the confessions of E. Howard Hunt, okay, and Hunt was a huge CIA guy. You know, he he toppled governments in Guatemala. You know, did this kind of stuff all over the place. And I think before he died, he really spilled the beans on the Kennedy assassination. Well, that's beside the point. You know, like Obama himself, I think he was. I think he was and still is pretty much controlled by like the CIA. His mom was definitely a CIA agent. Okay, she was in Indonesia uh, during uh, right after a coup that took place in 1965 or 66. Well, she was down there. She was living there. So these people that are saying that, like, well, Obama's this Muslim and all this kind of stuff, you know, if you look at it, what exactly was she doing there? 
you know, why would she have been there? His father, you know, her her father, Obama's grandfather, was in the OSS, which was the precursor of the CIA during World War II, Operation you know, Office of Strategic Services. So these there are people that have just been groomed out of like the CIA or out of these intelligence agencies. Oh yeah, and you can go back like multiple presidencies and just see yeah. how, how they've been tied into it and how much of a puppet they are. And it's it's right. almost blatantly obvious. But it, not, it is. What's anybody to I mean like what's any but average Joe to do, you know? Yeah. You're not you're not gonna rile up the masses because they no, don't you're care. Not. <laughs> you're not. There's people that listen to this show though that know this stuff and that, that that's open Oh yeah, yeah. That that, that are they're open and, and their they, mind. And to they're it. doomsday preppers and have like all the <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they have their gu- they have their guns like they're carrying right now, but they're like, Oh, if any CIA agent comes close to me, I'm gonna blow him away, you know. But um you know, uh, we have that kind of audience. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Well, there's nothing else to add. Let's. Uh, we've talked about clowns, CIA, like uh, all kinds of. In a nice, little, of nice stuff. little history lesson again. We, we like the CIA. Okay, you, you don't, know, don't come after us. <laughs> you could drink like a whole six pack and still be on point with your history. We should do that one night. We need to just do like a history, just like a history show. Just like, I'll be getting more into the history stuff. Sorry, guys. He's like Dude. pulling dates out. <laughs> we'll explain the whole like Israel Palestine. You know, yeah. Thing. Explained by me, Nar- narrated by Luke himself. We, could, yeah. we, we should just do like fifteen minute drunk history by Luke segment. Well, yeah, that, that, we need we do need to do that. We need to do like, but it'll be just like all wrong history. Yeah, you know, completely fabricated. <laughs> and then I think Genghis Khan conquered Tajikistan. Well, actually, he would have around that area. Yeah. So at least I'm close, right? If you said something like, you know, Genghis Khan, you know, when he went into Iowa that time, and uh... <laughs> well, there's people out there that think Jesus discovered America. Okay, so you, you gotta. Man, there are people that think that, right? When Jesus and Columbus discovered America, because Columbus saw the blood moons and he knew. <sighs> How is that related? <laughs> it, 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 well, it this is the personal soapbox. Oh, okay. Anyway, uh, we're going to take a break, guys, and we will be back with Walter Bosley, who uh, also worked in the intelligence agencies, oddly enough. Hope he it, doesn't turn us in. He's going to tell us how to regrow hair, too. <laughs> Sweet. How <laughs> to regrow hair. What's that guy's doing? I'm just being stupid. Like, like, like the, like the, you know, like balls, the Bosley, Bosley commercials. Yeah, uh, Bosley, yeah, Bosley hair replacement. Bosley hair replacement. <laughs> We're not giving them a dub. All right. Well, we'll be right back on Conspiracy Normal, guys. Okay, we're back on Conspiracy Normal after our little uh, long discussion about clowns and juggalos and uh, <laughs> and CIA cover-ups. Uh, we have Mr. Walter Bosley on the line. Welcome. Welcome to Conspiracy Normal, Walter. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. It's uh, good to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, I just got finished reading a three interesting books by Mr. Bosley, the Empire of the Wheel series. And I wanted to bring you on since you haven't been on before and talk a little bit about like who you are, like your background, and uh, what brought you kind of interested into the subject that we're going to talk about. 
Okay. Well, um, I kind of have a, a mixed background in national security. I started with the FBI, and I worked for them for just a little under six years as, uh, well, in various positions as a what you'd call a counterintelligence specialist. Now, that's not an official title of a job. It's just I was a different kind of specialist um, from, you know, in different jobs within the counterintelligence division. Um, and so I pretty much worked uh, national security matters while with the FBI, and then I went into the Air Force. I went through officer training school and was commissioned as an officer and went immediately uh, after that into training to be a special agent with the Air Force Office of Special Investigations. That's the, uh, the AFOSI, which many UFO enthusiasts love to despise and discredit as much as possible. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> and I have a lot of fun with that, of course. And uh, for just a little under six years, again, I was on active duty my whole time as a special agent with OSI and um, got to do some interesting things in counter-espionage operations and uh, deployed once to Saudi Arabia for about six months. And then wow. I went into, um, I was a contract consultant for various clients uh, working around the world um, on uh, uh, anti-terrorism, you know, kind of things like uh, threat assessments, vulnerability assessments, you know, that kind of thing, um, you know, assisting with uh, looking for terrorists, that kind of thing. Um, that took me, you know, in, in a lot of places globally. And, um, you know, I did that for about six years, six or seven years, and um, now I'm a licensed private investigator, but I spend most of my time now researching and writing these wonderful dark things that I stumble upon. Absolutely. That's, that's quite, a, quite an amazing resume. Um, how did you first get into, like, the, you know, the events that took place in San Bernardino in 1915? And it's just kind of like an obscure thing that... Um, I don't think very many people would kind of glum on, you know, it's very, it's not uh, not something that I had ever heard about. Of course, you know, I'm on the other side of the country, but, you know, how did you get into studying this kind of like obscure case and, and all the like kind of twists and turns that it led you to, that it led you into? Well, I'll tell you, obscure is right because I, and subsequently I and Rick Spence, my co-author on the first Empire of the Wheel book, we were the first writers, the first people at all to talk about um, this stuff publicly for, you know, uh, it was just shy of 100 years. After it had happened in 1915, it never appeared again in any newspaper accounts or any books that I ever found. So, uh, you know, the Empire of the Wheel series is really, you know, uh, uh, brought this up and, and put it back out there, you know, unburied it, so to speak, because in my opinion, it was buried on purpose. But I first was turned on to this when I was doing some follow-up uh, research on my Disneyland book, which was, uh, you know, right. quite a bit more fun, you could say, than uh, the Empire of the Wheel milieu. Um, and in my follow-up research, I was looking for strange phenomena or ghost stories, that kind of thing, associated with um, telluric current or ley lines, world grid type phenomena, and uh, in the Inland Empire. 
and I came across this, uh, you know, mention of a ghost story, which I subsequently um, learned from a woman named Ann Walker. She's a librarian here in San Bernardino, and uh, she's the one who first told me about the mystery of Cora Stanton because um, she had posted uh, a story somewhere um, online about the haunting, the, 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 the curious uh, haunting and the, the ghost of the Inland Center Mall. Okay. And uh, so I contacted her to find out about that, and she's the one that told me about the, uh, the Cora Stanton, you know, uh, death mystery, and uh, that she didn't think it was a suicide, and she told me, hey, you know, go look at the newspaper accounts yourself, and you'll see what I mean. So with Ann Walker's lead, I went to the special collections room of the library branch in San Bernardino, and not only did I find this, this mystery about this Cora Stanton woman, but I uh, began to notice there were six other very questionable deaths that, uh, you know, kind of started painting a picture of uh, something, something bigger here. Something was seriously not right. And, you know, the deeper I looked into it, the more I legitimately found. It wasn't a case of, you know, oh, the, you know, the more you look into it, the more you're going to find what you're hoping to find. Well, I mean, the, the more you looked at it, the, the more there was there, you know. And um, next thing I knew, I was neck deep in, in what I thought then and what I still believe now is a, is a major um, uh, suppressed mystery involving um, the, the, the occult, uh, involving historical figures, involving um, lost technology and breakaway civilizations, and H.P. Wow. Lovecraft and Harry Houdini and Aleister Crowley and all this wild stuff. So describe what had happened um, in Santa Bernardino in 1915, like, you know, who was killed, and, and incidentally, too, uh, just to mention, we, we had Adam, we've had Adam, Adam Garightly on this show several times, and I think in our first or second interview with him, he actually mentioned your Disneyland book. <laughs> oh, yeah. Great, yeah. yeah. I, I'll tell you, Adam is uh, a guy I know through uh, Greg Bishop, and he really, I'll, I'll tell you, he, the stuff he knows I know. about yeah. Southern California and, and the, the, the strange characters that he writes about, he's like an encyclopedia himself. He's an, yeah, he absolutely is. Great source of this stuff. But uh, what had happened um, there, you, you, you know, uh, how many uh, people were killed, you know, who was killed, and, oh, okay. and um, how Cora Stanton uh, actually died? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, the first death I was uh, informed of was that of this woman, Cora Stanton, who they didn't know her name at the time she died. Basically, um, they found her floating in a lake in a park that used to be here, the, the big park, which is now where um, the Inland Center Mall is located and part of the uh, Orange Show, National Orange Show grounds. And they didn't know who she was. They uh, kind of put her on display in the morgue and hundreds, actually maybe even thousands of people were, you know, paraded past her in the morgue, and nobody knew her. Nobody knew her until one woman who happened to be a receptionist at a doctor's office, and she remembered this deceased woman as having come into the doctor's office the afternoon before she died. 
And um, she had come in and asked to see the doctor, and, you know, she was told to wait. And a few minutes later, the receptionist uh, heard her, you know, mumble something, you know, that didn't mean anything to her. And and then she walked out and never saw the doctor. And then, of course, the next time this woman is seen, she's floating dead in the lake. The uh, medical examination showed that um, she had poison in her stomach, specifically bichloride of mercury. But it was pretty much the drowning that killed her. Um, She was estimated to be about 35 years old. She was a virgin, um, which, if you've read the books, as you know, um, that comes into play in a big way later as far as her identity. And yet nobody knew her name or anything. There was no suicide note found. And the newspapers repeatedly, um, you know, reported the fact that, you know, no lady's purse, no suicide note, no hat, nothing was found. And then um, after this had gone on and after a jury, a local jury of, I think, six local uh, citizens just kind of quickly decided, okay, this was a suicide. She killed herself. Okay. It was after that that, um, you know, oops, some guy just tripped on a purse, a suicide note, and a lady's hat that was well within range of the search that had been done by the police. So, of course, it looked like someone had stashed these things. And this uh, alleged suicide note, you know, just tied everything up neatly. You know, it was just like, uh, my name is Cora Stanton. I came here from El Paso. I'm sick, I have nobody, uh, you know, give my soul to God, that kind of thing. And uh, the funny thing is, in California law then, as in now, um, if um, if there is family, then, or, or, or anybody who can claim relation, you don't get to see the suicide note, the public, you know, can't see that the, the newspapers can't publish it or anything and uh, b- but if there is nobody to claim this person the person who has committed suicide then the public can see this now of course the note the contents of the note was published in the paper but funny thing is the file somewhere along the way got lost so when I was writing the book I was not able to see the any file on this case and certainly not see the letter because I was told it had been inadvertently destroyed what I wanted was to get a photocopy of the letter and, you know, take it to a handwriting analysis, and they would have been able to tell if a male or female wrote the letter. And uh, for the obvious reasons, that would have been interesting. If it had been a male right. hand that wrote the letter, then we, there you go, that pretty much validates what, the problem I think we have here with this case. Now, um, while this is going on, all this attention, when you look at the papers of the day, all this attention is being paid to this woman who, her name is allegedly Cora Stanton. Um, and yet, at the same time, there are two small children, a four-year-old and a two-year-old, who have been given poison candy, and that's what it says in the reports of the day. Um, they were given poison candy by some still, a hundred years later, unidentified stranger. And uh, even though their situation is reported and their deaths are reported they they don't get nearly the attention of this woman who is the suicide so think about that you know um you've got two children who've been given poison candy by somebody the parents were cleared it wasn't the parents you know they were essentially murdered and they got maybe 10 percent 
of the um, attention in the media of the day as a woman who was uh, allegedly a tragic suicide. Well, this happens again a couple of weeks after the woman dies and the, the two children are dead. Um, a 14-year-old girl in Redlands uh, dies under mysterious circumstances, again with uh, poisoned food, in this case an orange. Now, the toxins um, in the orange and in the candy that killed the other two children were sent to a laboratory, and the laboratories were unable to identify the specific toxin. Now, people say, well, that's 1915. Maybe the science wasn't up to par. Well, actually, the science was up to par, they were really good with toxins back then, 100 years ago, um, as poison was one of was for a while the most popular method of murder. Right. So yeah, that you, makes sense. Yeah. So you got this 14-year-old, you got a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. You got this woman who dies under really strange circumstances, and then you've got um, a, a man whose mummified remains are found, and he's another alleged suicide. And there's mystery surrounding him. And then, you know, the only guy whose death in the middle of all this might have been what it was reported to be is the poor guy who died in a boating accident on the lake. Um, yeah. And then the final victim you have is the, the guy in Redlands who allegedly shot himself in the head. And, um, of course, nobody heard the shot. The two other people living in the house didn't hear the shot. They find him the next morning. And, uh, you know, it's just one more strange thing. And as you dig into these people's lives, you find even more strange things. So there I am faced with all that, seven people total. Um, and, and it just keeps building and building. And I realize, wow, you know, I think I got a bona fide mystery here. And, and uh, so I write that first book with um, Rick Spence, and it has some pretty amazing associations to the ley lines of the telluric current, world grid energy, which is kind of shocking. Um, I, want to, you, I want to talk about what that is, like that's because uh, a lot of the murders are where they were placed or where they happened. We're all kind of like at least these telluric yes, we uh, were, ley we, line we, things. With a, an, an individual who does analysis of this for me, an author named Seshari, who's the author of a very interesting book titled The Handprint of Atlas. Um, he helped me I, identify that there is telluric current, which is an extreme low frequency energy that runs through the planet. You can look it up. It's T-E-L-L-U-R-I-C. And um, I had him blindly do an analysis with um, uh, its topographical maps. Yeah. <laughs> with topographical maps, um, and his knowledge of geomorphology, and he sent me back his analysis of where these telluric current flows and patterns are, and then I, independent of him, he didn't have this knowledge, I compared it to a, a, a plotted map of where these victims were either attacked and killed or where they died or were killed, and there was a match with the um, telluric current running through the valley. Wow. So that was another level of what's going on here. Clearly somebody is doing this on purpose. And the book goes into who the suspects are and why. It also points to um, a more famous case in which I discovered that the same thing was done, and that's the Zodiac Killer case. Um, I think I'm the first, uh, Rick and I, in the case that it, we, we put this in the book, um, we're the first 
writers, I believe, who have come up with something that actually ties all the victims together of the Zodiac Killer. And it is the fact that the known Zodiac Killer victims, whether they died or not, all the known victims were attacked in spots that are on this telluric current world grid of power. And so I argue that that's what the Zodiac Killer was doing, was he was attacking people on this energy grid for his own you know, esoteric purposes, which, again, we go into in the book. So, um, so you know, that's, that's where we're at with the first book, and that's weird enough. Well, as you know, since you read all three books, I decided to pull a thread. In the middle of all this mystery, going back to San Bernardino in 1915, there's a young man who's arrested on a train going out of town. And some interesting but scant details are stated about his arrest and his subsequent release um, in the newspapers of the day. And in pulling the thread that, that I saw sticking out due to some research totally, I thought, unrelated, in the past, I pulled this thread and, boy, did it open up a whole new ball of thread, you might say. Yeah, oh, really. And that led to uh, Empire of the Wheel 2, <laughs> in which um, I'm convinced that I, you know, know the identity of, the true identity of course, Stanton. And, uh, wow. <laughs> it, 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 it's kind of, it really takes you out, out deeper into it. And then uh, by Empire of the Wheel 3, of course, it's kind of bringing it back to the Inland Empire, but as you know, um, it's just, uh, it, it's hard to put in a sentence. <laughs> I, I want to talk about a little bit, kind of like the kind of the detail of, of some of this stuff, and I want to kind of go back a little bit into the Empire of the Wheel 1, mm -hmm. and about how the, the how spiritualism or spiritualists were kind of involved and also this strange coincidence of Aleister Crowley being there at least maybe like a week or so before um, these events started to happen. Yeah, he, well, the, the events were going on, because remember, the first alleged suicide would actually have been in August, because his body was found mummified beyond recognition during yeah. in November. So the first death would have been in the summer, and then the next mysterious the strange circumstantial death was in October. That was the guy who drowned on the lake. So you already had two victims, although, you know, the the, the mummified guy hadn't been found yet until November. And then and the he had, like, his hand pulled. over his mouth or something, like the mummified guy? Yeah, he was in a, on his knees, one hand over his mouth, and um, it was it was kind of interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, very, very strange. But um, during the time that the two children were poisoned because it took them about seven to ten days for both of them for the poison to kill them. They were sick for a week or so. Um, the one child died before the Cora Stanton death, and the other child died, I think it was reported that that child died the same day or the day after. But uh, Alistair Crowley had to have come through San Bernardino. I was able to pretty much verify that through railroad records. Um, around shortly after the children were poisoned, but at least a week before, about six or seven days at least, I believe. Um, it's been a while since I looked at that detail. I've been working on some, so much other stuff. Um, 
before the Coruscantan, uh, you know, death. So, um, as I state, and I've said before, um, Crowley was not in town when the kids were poisoned, so he couldn't have done that. He was not in town when Coruscantan was murdered, and he was not in town for um, the 14-year-old to be murdered and, and the yeah. other. Um, I so often get people that, you know, they hear Crowley was anywhere near, and it's like, that's it, <laughs> and there's your guy. And, you know, um, I came away with a much... Everybody. Yeah, I came away with a much different view of Aleister Crowley after this research than I had going in. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, the spiritualist angle too, I, I found I found rather interesting, and some detail that you went into about the the kind of like the spiritualist presence that was there around the uh, San Bernardino yeah. area that had dated, I think, to like the 1840s. Well, the, the very first spiritualist temple in the state of California was the one that was founded here in San Bernardino. And wow. it was highly revered and respected by spiritualists um, throughout the rest of the 19th century and into the 20th, because it was the first, and, and many prominent San Bernardino citizens were a member of it, active members of it. And um, unfortunately... As you know, anybody that you know honestly studies the history of spiritualism and the spiritualist movement, unfortunately, there was a lot of corruption, and uh, you know, many criminally minded people that uh, were involved in that movement and making good money um, in it. So they had uh, a stake in you know the status quo on the phony seances, the the um, the, the fraudulent mediums. Um, I mean, it was rampant in the 19th century and early 20th century. And, and you know, um, to, to, to put it in context for people now, uh, basically, if, you know, if you're familiar with the New Age culture and the New Age yeah. movement and, you know, psychic fairs and stuff like that, these people are basically the spiritualists of today. Now, I'm not, I am not saying that all these people are, are criminals. Some of them are flat-out frauds, yeah. I mean, you know, I've experienced my share of psychics, and, you know, I've experienced more of them that are full of crap than, trust um, <laughs> me, that aren't. And, uh, and yeah. that's the tradition they come from. You know, that's the tradition they come from. And as I get into in Empire of the Wheel 3, I mean, I'm one of those that's convinced that uh, Harry Houdini, the famous escape artist, um, and uh, stage magician, um, he, I, I'm one of those who's convinced that he was murdered by spiritualists. Um, and, I mean, they so much as said they were going to get to him, kill him, um, just, you know, weeks before he died. And uh, in Empire of the Wheel 3, I go into that. Uh, yeah, I believe it was very strange how he died. I mean, like, someone he, I guess that, Someone challenged him to punch him in the stomach, and they did. And he he had already had appendicitis, and that just inflamed it, and then he died. And that's kind of like the official yeah, version of what happened to him. Uh -huh, but what the official what what you don't often hear is that um, you, you know the, uh, the the food poisoning that occurred just weeks before he died. Um, and you know, of course, I go into that in Empire of the Wheel Three. And the reason that Harry Houdini is even mentioned in this. Um, and the book goes into this in detail, is because during the time of this mystery, as, as well as Aleister Crowley being in California, Southern California, Harry Houdini was in Southern California at the time. 
Yeah. Now, um, he, he was in Los Angeles. Um, uh, at least the record shows he was in Los Angeles performing on November 30th while this, this mystery went into the middle of December. But here's the interesting thing about this. Um, you have Harry Houdini in Los Angeles, and he went after, very publicly, he went after the, the fraudulent spiritualists in the 1920s, the decade after this San Bernardino mystery. Now, um, in the San Bernardino mystery, you have an interesting character um, by the name of, uh, well, he was the Reverend Walter Franklin Prince. Now, in 1915, Walter Franklin Prince was the Episcopal uh, minister here in town, and he was the one who gave Cora Stanton her public funeral, the, the, the alleged suicide Cora Stanton, her public funeral. Now, in the books, I go into why this was uh, a very curious thing that an Episcopal minister, any minister at the time, uh, would have given a very public funeral, as this funeral was, to someone who committed suicide. Because, you know, a hundred years ago, that was a, you know, treated as a very shameful thing, and they right. just wouldn't have done that. But Walter Franklin Prince did. And then, after he gives Cora Stanton her funeral, he essentially, him and his wife pack their bags, and they leave San Bernardino, and he goes back to Boston to become uh, the assistant of the Psychical Research Association. Now, uh, a decade later, Walter Franklin Prince is the director of the Psychical Research Association in Boston, and that's the organization that teams up with Harry Houdini to go after fraudulent spirit, spiritualist mediums. Walter Franklin Prince and Harry Houdini were close associates and very good friends, and they both... Uh, investigated these uh, spirit uh, medium frauds, these fraudulent psychics. So here you have the strange thing going on here in San Bernardino in 1915. You've got the heavy presence of spiritualists. You've got this occult theme and clues going on with these deaths. And here you have Walter Franklin Prince, who's in town when this is happening. And you've got Harry Houdini just down the road at some point. And these are the two guys that 10 years later, they're going after these spiritualist mediums. That's a very interesting, curious thing. It, it, as I ask in the book, um, did the crusade against these fraudulent spirit mediums, did this begin, uh, the, you know, between uh, uh, Prince and Houdini, did their crusade actually begin because of what happened in San Bernardino? It makes you wonder. Um, and of course, you know, as you know, the, the the research gives all the details and the the uh, background as to uh, why I ask this question and, and and why I think that's possible. So that's why Houdini is um, connected to all of this because the the Walter Franklin Prince and the spiritualist aspect of what was going on here. So do you believe that the spiritualists were behind these murders or someone that maybe? Could have been uh, a rogue element, possibly, in that community? Someone within the spiritualist community in San Bernardino, um, someone who was involved in that, uh, that spiritualist temple that was here, um, yes, I'm convinced, was definitely involved in these murders. Now, um, rogue element, yeah, corrupt members, you know, definitely, you know, corrupt members. Uh, I can't say whether it's rogue or not. You know, you don't know. I, I would like to think that it's a rogue element. I'm sure that yeah. not everybody, you know, it, it wasn't a temple of, you know, diabolical, you know, evil comic book villains. But, uh, yes, 
I, there was definitely spiritualist, um, with a capital S, spiritualist um, involvement in these murders in San Bernardino, one way or another. Um, just as it's uh, to me, it's convincing that they, you know, a decade or so later, eleven years later, murdered Harry Houdini. He's still hated in some new oh, age. Yeah. You mentioned the name Harry Houdini at you know like a new age gathering, and you'll get you know hisses and boos and you know dirty looks. <laughs> uh, and he's, I mean, and he's very respected still among people that are more you know serious, skeptical researchers too. Ah, yes. Of course, of course, because, you know, um, the fact that he went after these guys and he exposed, you know, their crap and, uh, you know, of course, you know, he's in that regard, you know, he's probably, you know, one of their icons. Um, so certainly, certainly I see why they respect him, but, uh, um, you know, Houdini himself, though, um, was not what you'd call... What, Houdini wouldn't necessarily be what we would label a skeptic today. Um, yeah. You know, he, he, his experiences told him that there were, you know, more things in heaven and earth than in the philosophy of the modern-day skeptic. T- today, skepticism is kind of a, uh, what, what I like to call mostly, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a big trend with, you know, um, young, young men. <laughs> they, they, <laughs> seem to, they seem to really uh, grab onto skepticism because it's a way to be snarky and a smart-ass and, and <laughs> right, right. Cool things I, that they just don't understand, and um, so you know, I'm kind of uh, I'm I'm neither in the new age camp, believe me, but I'm not in the uh, skeptic camp per se. However, because I was a you know a federal agent, I'm a professional investigator. My way of approaching things, um, and and the requirement that I put on myself. Um, would probably be more respected by skeptics than, you know, New Age or uh, true believer types. Because I will, uh, I will irritate and annoy my true believer friends because I'll be the devil's advocate. You know, I'll ask the hard questions. You know, I'll say, hey, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, step back, take a deep breath, you know, be objective here. You know, you have to. Um, but that comes from the fact, being a professional investigator, you know, if I did an, an ROI, a report of investigation that was going to a prosecutor, you know, I'd better have, you know, gotten my ducks in a row and presented some evidence that supports the elements of a crime, you know. Um, and that's the way I approach this stuff. So I can say this, I will say this about my books. Um, I don't put everything I find or encounter um, in the books. The only thing I put in the books are those things which um, I can support with some type of, you know, documented evidence or observe, you know, observe something I've observed, observational evidence, um, or something that, or, or even a speculation that could be backed up by those things. But the things that I encounter, the things that I find that I just can't find any way to um, substantiate even a speculation on it, I won't put in the books. And then there's some things I just won't put in at all because I don't think I don't think I need to to make the argument that I'm making in the books. So, right. yeah. So, so I, I kind of... that noise there. Uh, Luke was popping up in a cold one. I was over here fumbling all over myself. <laughs> <laughs> Hello? Yes, yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay. <laughs> 
Uh, I wanted to ask a little bit about um, something that has actually come up on this show before, oddly enough, and that is just kind of the worship of the goddess Hecate. Yes. And how that's involved with this whole thing, and, and that's actually instrumental in your title of your books. Yep, she's at the uh, she's at the heart of uh, this Empire of the Wheel stuff. Um, I definitely came away with a different view of the goddess Hecate than I had going in. When I went into this, and she first started to pop up to show herself, so to speak, um, all I knew of her was that she was the dark, you know, goddess of witches and the 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 spooky underworld and by the time I was done with all these books and where I'm at now is she's a lot more than that and um, yeah I think it's a case of you know there's some there's a few knuckleheads who do some really stupid things in her name and um, you know it's 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 like Crowley I I have a different view of um, Hecate now than I did going into it, that's for sure. Um, I would say this. Um, Hecate is like electricity, okay? Electricity can be a very positive thing. It powers our computers, our lights. It, it basically keeps our civilization running and all these positive things. But electricity right. can also be dangerous as hell if you mishandle it. It can kill you instantly. It can be very destructive. This, this Hecate power, so to speak, is just like that. Now, let's step out of that. Um, we're talking about, you know, true believer types, people that would commit atrocities in the name of their esoteric belief, much like these idiots over in the Middle East that, you know, in the name of their prophet are destroying um, uh, archaeological uh, treasures, you know, because they're basically morons who <laughs> did... I hope they all die. Yeah, I don't have words bad enough for those guys. Um, yeah. it, it's just, but there's an example of it, see? And, and, and here's the thing. You know, they say they're doing this in the name of, of God. Well, you know, just uh, what, whether we've got atheists sitting here or, you know, whatever, Bible thumpers here, let, let's all, for the sake of this, you know, conversation, let's all agree that, you know, God's this real guy, right? I would argue that even God would say, whoa, wait a minute, people, don't blame me. These guys are jerks. They're saying they're doing it in my name. I don't, I don't sanction this. Just, yeah. you know, kick their butts, you know, go put them in prison, go destroy them, because they're doing it. It's the same thing with Hecate, is the way I look at it, is these true believers, you know, they, they think that they're gaining, you know, this entity's favor and and um, bringing power to themselves, that kind of thing. So what they're doing is they're committing, you know, this black magic um, uh, within the milieu of, you know, the whole Hecate theme. What is this obsession with Hecate? Uh, you know, and it, uh, it, it's almost like, well, I mean, you do get into into some of it in the book, but... We've had a friend of ours on here uh, that uh, we've talked to, Dr. Future, and we actually talked to him a little bit about Hecate. This was like uh, about a year and a half ago. And when I was actually talking to him today and telling him about your about your book and how you've written about Hecate, 
And one of the things he equates Hecate with is like with the concept of, of wormwood in the Bible, in the book of Revelation. And I thought that was rather interesting. How, how, how did he... How did he connect um, Hecate with Wormwood? I'm curious. Uh, it was something about um, I, I have to look. At, I'd have to go back and listen to that show. It's been a long time. Uh, it's, I think it's like episode 35 or something like that in our show. He does get into it. Uh, he talks about a lot of some of that was was to do with with uh, psychoactive drugs like ayahuasca. Well, worm, we worm, Wormwood itself is hallucinogenic. Yeah, it's a uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so she's a manifestation of what the hallucinogenic does to the human psyche, or, or did he say she reveals herself when you're in that altered state of consciousness? Yeah, that's one of the things that he said. The the, the second part of that. Did, does he see? Did he see her as a negative energy, an evil entity? I'd say negative. Yeah, I'd say negative. Yeah. See, I don't see her as. I, I, she has. She can have negative aspects. Um, but I don't see her as, um, I don't see her as like a demon or a, a, you know, but I will say this, I will say this, uh, a close, um, associate of mine who is, uh, much more educated in these things and is also an author himself, uh, you know, he told me, um, he said, look, uh, just don't attempt direct contact. <laughs> and then we had our nervous little laugh. And that's why yeah. I, I would never attempt direct contact. Um, but uh, she's made her presence known. Now, what does that mean? Um, you're going to have to answer that one for yourself because there's some experiences in human life that we can't describe in books. We can't really convey in a chat on a interview show. It's just, it's in the realm of, you know, you must experience it yourself. And then you decide if it's purely uh, something in the psyche or if it's an external uh, personality. Um, you know, that's just something you got to decide for yourself. But I will say that my experience with Hecate has been vivid and uh, very impactful. And it has left me with a very much a respect, not any kind of idol worship, just a respect and just an acknowledgement of the, whatever she is, whatever these things are, I most definitely am telling you, I acknowledge that she's there. Um, that there's some power to it. There's something to it, yeah. There's something yeah. to her um, and others as well. But in this particular case, I happen to, uh, I happen to walk into her backyard. And uh, she lets you know it. <laughs> some of these things that uh, Dr. Future was talking about, I believe there was some connection to um, Jack Parsons uh -huh. and Babylon working. I believe he was drawing some 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 parallels to, to Hecate uh, involved with that with yeah. that concept, the goddess worship. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She's there, there's a lot of goddess worshippers out there that you know. She's big with the. Uh, um, you know the 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 goddess worship, and I, I think in some um, esoteric feminist circles, of course, she would be big because you know she's a goddess. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, so so you know there's going to be that. Of course, witches. I mean, she's the uh, top dog in the world of witches in in many respects. Um, so you know, yeah, yeah, you you know you'll find that. But it's just like with. Um, 
you know, uh, you know, Islam or Christianity. I mean, look how many different, you know, Christian churches they are. There are. Look how many different, you know, d- divisions of Islam there are, and uh, you know, even in some of the other world's religions. You know, you're always going to find that. You know, as many people as there are, almost you're going to find as many interpretations of that whole experience. And unfortunately, because <laughs> you're dealing with human nature, you're going to find a lot of stupidity and a lot of bad behavior, um, all in the name of gods and, and religion. I have no problem with God or gods. Um, I, my problem is with human institutions we call churches and, and um, uh, uh, blah, 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 mosques and, uh, you know, uh, temples. And it, it's, it's the human factor. It's when gotcha. the people that the corruption and the nonsense really that, that usually is the case, yes. <laughs> I want to ask you about the... This is some of the really good stuff here. Uh-huh. The airships stuff. Ah, the airships, yeah. Yeah. You know, this is something I... I mean, I, I remember hearing about this, like, uh, back in a book about mysteries and about the just how these weird airships are around in the late 1890s when supposedly... There were no, I mean, I don't think there were any any Zeppelins yet. So how could these airships be, like, floating around the sky? And, of course, right. you hear about the famous one, I believe, in the suburb of Dallas, that, uh, or this little town outside of Dallas where right. they, they supposedly, like, somebody, there was an occupant of it that died, and they buried him out there. And But you found some links to just this kind of obscure reference uh, to the idea of, like, friends, the, this guy that they arrested Yes. Or, uh, that was later claimed by friends, quote unquote, friends from Sonora. Yeah, and you yeah. Found well, some see, links there. So you know, there you are, a reader. You read Empire of the Wheel one, and then you get to Empire of the Wheel two, and you go, "What the heck, Walter? Are you saying?" Well, imagine how I felt. I happen to know already um, the the lore and be familiar with the material about the uh, the the airships and the Aero Club, the Sonora Aero Club. So here I am, you know, already neck deep in the strangeness um, of uh, all this Empire of the Wheel stuff. And this this guy who's arrested on the train, he is uh, taken to the county hospital. He is diagnosed as dangerously paranoid. And, you know, this is during the week that, you know, children are being murdered and this woman is found dead. And they, they just turn around and let him go. You know, no word about the police saying, hey, we're going to hang on to this guy. They just let him go, and they release him into the hands of these unidentified friends from Sonora. Well, you know, I see the word Sonora, and I think, oh, okay, um, there's Sonora, Mexico, there's Sonora in Texas, then there's Sonora, California, and Sonora, California is associated with this airship mystery of the 1850s. But I don't let myself get too excited. You know, I say, okay, now. Um, we've already got a woman whose suicide, alleged suicide note says she's from El Paso, so this could be Sonora, Texas. Could even be Sonora, Mexico. So um, then I look at his name, last name Rosasco, and I don't find you know anything in Sonora, Mexico, or Sonora, Texas associated with Rosascos. And then there it is in Sonora, California. I find a major. Uh, ranching family, the Sonora, or the uh, Rosascos of Sonora, California. To this day, you know, they have a presence there, and sure enough, their patriarch, who first brought the family to California, is right there in Sonora in the 1850s. 
And I happened to know that the mysterious Sonora Aero Club had deals with the ranchers to to use hangers on their property or uh, barns on their property as hangers in place to stash their flying machines. And uh, you know, it's just one thing leads to another. Which of course the details are in Empire of the Wheel too. But that's the thread I was talking about. It's oh boy. Here's this Rosasco guy arrested on the train, and it's the same spelling, same name. And sure enough, subsequent investigation showed that he indeed was of that same Rosasco ranching family in Sonora. And he spent, after that, he spent the remaining 58 years of his life living in a little cabin house on the property um, daily, just doing hour after hour of mathematical uh, calculations observing the stars at nighttime, and surveying something on the family ranch property. He spent 58 years just obsessed with this, math, astronomy, and surveying something. Um, He was was considered a young, bright um, young man with a great future ahead of him. He had an engineering degree, but he had a breakdown. And I talked to the family about this. And they confirmed this. Yeah, he went down to San Bernardino, and something mysterious happened to him, and he has this nervous breakdown. And the rest of his life, he becomes this Lovecraftian character. And, oh, we might add, too, that when he was arrested on the train, as you know, you read the book, he's arrested in possession of a woman's purse. Right, right. Remember, when Cora Stanton is found dead, the big thing they said was they never found a purse. They never found a purse. So here's this man, and he's hallucinating the face of a young woman, and he keeps gibbering to the police that they, some unidentified they, are saying that he's hurt some woman, but he didn't do it. Hmm. And so, you know, and, and, and there he's associated with Sonora, California, and I started pulling more threads, and, of course, that led to the who really was Cora Stanton thread, and then the whole thing just exploded into, um, crashed into, you might say, this mystery in San Bernardino crashed into the airship mystery of the previous century. And much of that um, involved the, what I believe is the true identity of this Cora Stanton woman. You don't want to reveal that on the, on the show? Of course. I've talked about it publicly. It's... Okay. Uh, Mentioned in the description of the book online, it's uh, um, at a place. For those of you who know your American Western history, or if you're a movie fan, if you've seen the movie Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, at a place was the woman who was allegedly Sundance's girlfriend, some say wife. She was has been considered um, by historians to have been a saloon girl, a saloon prostitute, and that's where they met her and all this and so forth. And and uh, my evidence suggests something quite different, um, that she was neither Sundance's nor Butch's girlfriend. She was no man's girlfriend or wife. Um, I argue that uh, she was with them for um, heretofore unsuspected reasons and that she was the woman who, at 35 years old and a virgin, was murdered in San Bernardino in 1915. Um. You have an interesting, your background, I think, really brings out uh, that you have a way, I think, in the book to kind of sniff out this, like, 
these different intelligence operations that are going on, even stuff that was happening, you know, a hundred years ago. That you, you can know, tell, we, kind of tell that there's an intelligence thing that might be going on there. Yeah, when I see the closer I looked at it, uh, basically I argue that at a place was actually um, an undercover field operative for um, the U.S. Secret Service. Now, here's the thing. The U.S. Secret Service was the only game in town when it came to federal agents going after criminals and spies. Um, there was no FBI in the early 1900s. Um, yeah. You know, they're, they're, the Secret Service was it. They would do those national security. They would do the Treasury violations. Now, um, the book goes into this in greater detail, but, uh, you know, I present all the evidence as to why I think that Edda Place was actually an operative for the U.S. Secret Service. I argue that Sundance was also uh, doing this kind of work, and that's why they were actually partnered up as partners, and, and the boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife thing was just a cover. Um, I argue the evidence that the reason she was a 35-year-old virgin when she was murdered was the fact that she was a nun, a secular nun, yeah. or an Episcopal uh, order. And that brings us back to Empire of the Wheel 1 and explains why the Reverend Walter Franklin Prince, the Episcopal minister, would have given an alleged suicide a public funeral because Walter Franklin Prince had reason to know that this woman was not a suicide. He had reason to know that she was actually a nun affiliated with the, you know, his larger church, Episcopalian order, and that he knew that she was, uh, he likely knew that she was actually murdered. Um, hmm. And of course, the book goes into all the wherefores and whys and all the little details that I present as evidence to suggest this. And um, how the airship stuff ties in here is that going back to Etta and Butch and Sundance, if you've seen the movie or read about them, you know that they all went down to South America and Butch and Sundance disappeared down there, allegedly got killed. That's been questioned for years now. Right, right. You know, over a century. Um, and uh, the interesting thing was she returned... But then she disappeared from history. Her last known whereabouts were San Francisco, and it, and it is believed, it's not certain, it is believed that um, 1909 she surfaced um, at an embassy to just try to get information regarding uh, the alleged death of Sundance and of Butch, but nobody's sure that that was her. Um, her last known whereabouts was in 1906 in San Francisco. And, you know, I, I thought, well, gosh... You know, everybody's wondering if Butch and Sundance died down there, if they survived, but nobody looks at Etta. A few researchers have, but it's usually to uh, speculate the same old thing, that, you know, oh, she was a saloon whore and a rootin' tootin' gal, and after leaving Butch and Sundance, you know, they write these novels about, you know, she goes off on this romantic adventure, kind of a, you know, an early 20th century liberated woman kind of thing. Um, but none of the actual facts really fully support that. All of the stuff we're told about her, um, you know, 90% of it is pure, utter speculation uh, and assumption. Um, so I asked myself, well, what the heck, you know, was Etta doing? And um, the thing that really... Here's how this happened with Etta Place. I'm writing Empire the Wheel 2. I'm just doing the research on it. And, you know, I'm talking about Cora Stanton, and the big thing at the moment was I had realized, oh, my God, 
she was a nun. That's why she was a virgin. That's why Prince gave her the funeral. And I thought, okay, so she was a nun. And when you read the first book, you realize that uh, a lot of espionage activities associated historically with the Episcopal Church. So I'm thinking, okay, she was probably maybe an agent also, some type of spy, because there was a, you know, a lot of national security type stuff going on in San Bernardino at the time with German agents and World War I going on in Europe. So, you know, there I had, okay, she's a spy, she was a nun, and I thought, well, gosh, where am I with her? So I set her aside, and I decided to jump over to one of the other victims, and I went back to a list of famous missing persons cases. And I looked on this list I had never seen before, and there was Etta Place. And I thought, wait a minute, I never knew Etta Place was considered a missing person. And then I looked at it closer, and I found, wait a minute, Nobody knows what happened to her after 1906, just that she was in San Francisco. And then I got a chill. I literally got bumps all over my arm. My hair stood on end. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I looked at her physical description, and that really gave me the chills because it was pretty much a match for this woman, Cora Stanton. Then I looked at the age she was, uh, what we knew about the age of at a place, and again, oh my God, she would have been in, you know, around her early mid thirties in 1915. And I thought, oh wow, okay. Um, I knew I had something, so I started pulling threads, and I started going to sources, and. I continued to get reasons to pursue that, and that's why I went ahead and presented it because I'm, I'm convinced that uh, the, 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 this woman, Cora Stanton, was actually um, the historical uh, at a place. And, yeah, and you could give a lot in the book that the name Cora Stanton actually has like a lot of symbolic meaning, and that that probably, in many ways, probably actually was not the name of the person that died, especially since the nobody found the. Rick and I, in the first book, we we provide the analysis that, hey, we think there's something funny going on here. In the first book, before the Edda Place thing even entered my head, in the first book, we point out that we think this name Cora Stanton is a fake because we think, first of all, she was murdered. She didn't commit suicide. So therefore, the suicide note is a bunch of BS. So the name Cora Stanton, and then we provide the really spooky analysis that the name Cora Stanton, um, it, it, when you study the linguistics, it's essentially, um, you know, Persephone of the land of the dead. <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah. all in the book there. It's in a chapter of the book. So, you know, going into um, taking this further in the second book, I already, you know, questioned, you know, I was wondering what was the real identity of this woman? What's going on here? And, but I did not expect at a place. <laughs> and then when I dig into Butch and Sundance, the true details of their story, particularly where South America is concerned, wow, I realized that my point of view on Butch and Sundance was not entirely accurate. Um, and there you know, was definitely something very strange going on there, which is all in the book, Empire of the Wheel 2. When they go down to South America, a lot of that is um, discussed the circumstances with, under which they went down there and what they were possibly uh, involved in. Well, we got so many different characters in your books. I mean, we got like Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid and 
Harry Houdini and Aleister Crowley and all this. It's like an interesting cast of characters there that you never would uh, like to um, think you would like go together. You know. Yeah, I like to say historical figures because you don't know how many times. Uh, occasionally, I get people that think these books are novels. I mean, I, I have actually done entire interviews, and I end up at the end of it, and the person, you know, uh, one of the people, you know, the interviewers have, have thought this was fiction. And I point out to them, this is nonfiction. These books, Empire of the Wheel, I am not disguising fiction as nonfiction. I, these are not novels. I mean, you know, as you know, because, you know, you read them, these are, uh, the, I'm presenting this stuff that I've found, and, and I'm very honest and upfront about what I'm speculating. Um, I think anybody that would not see that is, I'll be nice. They're not paying close enough attention. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it, believe me, if it's, it's wild for you, it was wild for me when I'm, you know, just uncovering this stuff and finding all this. And um, uh, to tie it, you know, for those who haven't read the books and don't know anything about this stuff, um, the airship mystery uh, has its presence and its connections to South America, and specifically the area of South America where Butch and Sundance and Etta set up a ranch. So, um, you know, here you have the young man on the train the week that Etta is murdered. You have the young man on the train who is uh, uh, handed over to unidentified people from Sonora, California, that has a history of the airship uh, builders, airship mystery connected with it. And, you know, of course, you have Etta in the years before 1915 going down to South America to a region associated with this airship mystery. Um, you have reason to suspect that Earth Energy World Grid is somehow associated with the technology of these airships. And here you have you know, in the first book, all these murders happening, you know, linked to this world grid, you know, what what's going on here? <laughs> you know, I ask that just like the reader does, you know, with these airship guys and German spies and, and occultists, um, spiritualists, occult murder. Yeah. Yeah, the airship thing is like a very, like, steampunky kind of thing. And, uh, you know, too... Um, you know, I used to think that the whole breakaway civilization thing or like a secret space program or something like that, you know, I'm still very skeptical about it. But after reading like your books and Olaf Phillips' book, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he uh, wrote a book about like the secret space program as well. Oh, and you need I think to read there might be something, something interesting that something, something's going on there. You, you really should look at the work of uh, Dr. Joseph Farrell. Yeah. Have you read his works? Are you familiar? I, with I have not, but I'm, I am familiar with him. Yeah, I would. I, I'll tell you. I think he's written the best, most thoroughly, extensively researched book on the Roswell incident. Now, the UFO ET true believer folks—they hate that book. They like to ignore it because yeah. he presents that what was going on at Roswell was a very Earth-based human technology thing. It's still in the realm of the fantastic, but it, he, you know, his book presents the idea, hey, here's the evidence as to why this was not extraterrestrial. And let me tell you, it is the thickest and best book, most researched, best presented, best thought out book on Roswell. And, you know, if you're of a skeptical mind, I think you'll uh, appreciate that particular book. But that's not the only book he's done that talks about the breakaway civilization evidence. And, um, you know, it, it's, 
it's worth your while to take a look there. Um, yeah, he's someone I'm thinking about getting on the show at some point. Uh, I I wanted to ask you, kind of like moving back down to earth, so to speak, huh? in a way, uh, the things that are going on there <coughs> now, and there's actually been a recent case, and we mentioned the uh, Zodiac Killer. You all right there, Luke? I'm snotting all over your room, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm blowing snot everywhere. We, 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 we mentioned the... Uh, which is the Zodiac Killer earlier, and how the first um, the first of his murders was actually not in San Francisco area, but in the Riverside, uh, which is like right next to San Bernardino. Yeah, and kind of how it's along those telluric ley lines as well. Which I think that's actually a misnomer as you kind of go into it. But the 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 McStay family. I mean, that's that's fairly recent. That's only a few years ago. Yeah, and that's kind of disturbing. That one. That one's. That one's really disturbing because I, I uh, when when their remains were discovered and that was reported, I went to a map that I, I mean I'd owned for years before that happened, and sure enough, it just again you know the hair stood on the end and uh, because the spot where they were found is right there where this stuff flows through. Um, here's the thing: I don't know you know, who the murderers were, the McStay family. I don't know those kinds of details, but I will tell you this, based on uh, where they were buried, um, somebody involved in all this stuff had their hand in what happened to that family. Now, I don't know if that was the reason. It could have just been bad business gone wrong. Um, it, it could have been, you know, whatever. It could have been over narcotics. It, whatever. Whatever yeah. reason they were killed could be entirely separate from the reason why they were killed, where they were killed and buried. Um, but I am convinced that somebody involved in all this creepy, weird stuff had their hand in what happened to that family. And, and you make a point, um, and I also heard you on Darkness Radio talk about the McStay family. Okay. Uh, I, you, you make a point in the book and you make a point in that interview that you don't necessarily have to have the killer to have the mindset that he's pulling off an occult crime. He could just be killing somebody for hire and then be told, you know, you're going to bury these people here. This is how I want it done. Yes, exactly. He has absolutely no idea what's going on. He's just following his orders or what he's doing, what he's paid to do. Exactly. And, and this is where, this is where I take the task, you know, more the, the, uh, the, the, the really staunchly, I'll call them religious skeptics because, a lot of a lot of skeptics are no, they're no less religious and superstitious than a lot of the people that they criticize. Um, they have their own dogma. They have their own thing they insist upon. And and here's the thing, They'll, some some people will say, oh, this conspiracy stuff, blah blah blah, it can't happen. You can't do it. Well, you just pointed out something. Yes, you can do this stuff because, as you said, as I've said before, um, exactly the killer, you know, he's just getting paid, right? He's going to do. He's paid to do. And if somebody says, I'm going to pay you $100,000 to take this family out there, you kill them on this spot, um, you kill these three or four people, children included, and you bury them right there. And you're getting $100,000 to do this job and keep your mouth shut and cover your tracks. Well, these guys are professional killers. I mean, come on. To begin with, anybody that kill a child, they're not going to be curious about, you know, why they're burying those bodies where they're burying them. They don't care. They're getting their money. That's how right. they, uh, you know, that's how they make their money. 
So um, exactly, the you know somewhere in the mix was somebody who's into this stuff, and it could even be that they had nothing to do with why, as I said, why the family was killed. It could just be they're an associate of the people that wanted them killed. And basically, it's like, oh, you want these people killed? Well, I need some bodies. I need some people murdered, you know, for magic purposes out on this spot. So, you know, let's kill two birds with one stone, so to speak, you know? Yeah. And um, Or the guy who's doing the magic, you know, he's friends with the guy who wants him dead. He doesn't even have to tell the guy who wants him dead that he's doing magic. The guy who wants him dead, he could say, hey, I've got the guy to do it, and we'll take care of that. And his friend says, okay, you take care of that. So then the, 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 the black magic guy, then he goes to the killer and says, look, you kill these people on this spot, no questions asked, here's your money. So you, you follow me? The, the black right. magic guy hasn't told the one who wants them dead, and he hasn't told the killer what he's really doing, what his part is, you know, with the magic. They don't need to know. And that is how these kinds of things could conspire to happen. And, uh, you know, here's the deal. If I can sit here and think this up through, you know, analysis and and speculation and stuff, then it can happen. And and that's sometimes what gets dismissed these days is, uh, you know, it, it's, it's weird. I won't go off on a tangent, but we live in this weird period of history. History is full of conspiracy and conspiratorial murder, right? I mean, full of it. But for some reason, we got a bunch of know-it-all, self-assured, smug idiots who think we live in a very special bubble of history where this stuff just doesn't go on. Please give me a break. Um, it does right. go on, <laughs> and it will exactly. go on. Yeah, it goes on all the time, and it's something like you know, definitely anybody that's listening to this show knows that for sure. Yeah, I, it, something you postulate in the book is that uh, this San Bernardino and you uh, murders, and you, and you you term that the San Bernardino working. Um, yes. it reminds me of stuff like the was we you know the Babylon working, like you know the Jack Parsons stuff and. Yeah, because uh, it was a working of it was a working of magic. It was a work of magic I, uh, operation of this, and I I'm convinced of that. You know. Right, and 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 you look at uh, well, you know that was 1915, and then 50 years later, roughly, you have the Zodiac killer come about, and uh -huh. so now here we are. It's 2015. Yes, here we are. <laughs> Something going to near completion here. Well, that's what scares me. That's what bothers me. Is as, as we say in the yeah. book. And we almost did not put that in the book, stating that, you know, and here's what this is about for your listeners. Um, the number, there's, a, there's two numbers most associated with Hecate. The number three is the first one because she's a triple aspect goddess. She's the goddess of the triple crossroad. But the number 100 is also associated with her. She's very often venerated in uh, measures of 100 and often in two measures of 50. That's why we went into this whole analysis. Well, you know, what happened 50 years after this San Bernardino working in 1915? Oh, we had the Zodiac Killer emerge, and he was killing people on the ley lines, just like whoever were the killers were in San Bernardino. So that was odd. So then, therefore, you think, well, if a 100-year cycle of veneration through these magical acts was kicked off in 1915, that means, you know, 50 years later, the next step is the Zodiac, well, then that means in 2015, what's going to happen? Will another series of occult, you know, murders, um, you know, come to the surface, emerge, or take place, you know, starting in this year or during this year? 
and yeah. you know we're still early into it, so it remains mm-hmm. to be seen. Right. Um, when, of course, the third book gets into what happened 50 years before, let's say the San Bernardino work in 1915 was the middle act, and the Zodiac was the third act, what was the first act? Oh, isn't that interesting? What's 50 years prior to 1915? 1865. What might have happened in 1865? As I state in the third book, the Abraham Lincoln conspiracy. And if you see that, it has its weirdness. And I go into that in Empire of the Wheel 3. Which is Tuesday, the the 150th anniversary of that, by the way. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Uh, Right. My gosh, yeah. Oh, that's kind of weird, isn't it? (laughs) I also love in the book that you... uh, and what kind of turned me on when I when I heard your interview was you talked about and I and I thought that going into the book that it was going to be more about the thirty third degree parallel. That's something that's come up on this show too. And I think you go into that in the Disneyland book. I haven't read that book, but I think you go into that. You know, like the Club Thirty Three that's there. Also, uh, the you know the James Shelby Downard stuff, um, which we talked with Adam Go Rightly about about the. Uh, uh, you know, Dallas being on the 33rd degree parallel. Also, uh, Charleston, South Carolina, where the um, 33rd, like the uh, Scottish Rite Freemasonry was founded, was on the 33rd degree parallel. Uh, and also something called the Georgia Guidestones is close to there as well. So there's all this kind of weirdness that goes along. And I believe where you're at, that's the, you know, it's running straight through there too. It would have to be. Yes, absolutely, because Disneyland is on uh, 33.1881 or 8118, something like that. I'd have to look at the, the book again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, in, I'm neck deep in, the, um, in uh, the new book that I'm writing, which is um, my, my latest book was uh, right after Empire of the Wheel 3 last summer. I came out with Secret Missions, and I'm doing the new one, Secret Missions 2. And it's quite a doozy. I'm really immersed in the research on that one. And uh, so it's been a while since I looked closely yeah. at the uh, Latitude 33 and the Empire of the Wheel books. I found that I found that very interesting. And like you know, Roswell, New Mexico is along that line too. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a researcher named David Flynn who uh, looked at the 30 where Roswell is, and I think on the exact opposite side of the Earth is where Mount. Uh, Gonna, I'm now I'm blanking. It's a, it's a mountain though in in what's now Israel, and supposedly yes. in the in the Book of Enoch, that's where the uh, the Watcher Angels came to Earth. And there's all this kind of weirdness with the 33rd degree parallel. Yes, yeah, just and like the number 33 all together. <laughs> yeah, just like with Richard Hoagland's um, 19 and a half degrees um, stuff. Yeah. You need to you should take a look at that. Uh, that's really interesting as well. Um, yeah, it's, there's uh, interesting stuff going on that has to do with, um, you know, the f- numbers and, and certain physical zones, geophysical zones, and, uh, you know, these people, these occultists, you know, the folks that do these kind of things, they're, they're aware of this stuff, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I'd like to point something else out, too, that Rick and I in the first book, Rick Spence and I in the first book, we, we, we state repeatedly, and, and I like to say it again and again, Remember, you do not yourself have to believe in any of this stuff, these occult. You don't have to believe in this Hecate stuff. You don't have to believe in any magic these people were doing. The point is, what what matters is they're believing in it, and it's motivating them 
to do some pretty heinous, uh, horrible things. See, so that's how I look at it as you know, a former criminal investigator and you know, former federal agent is whatever my personal beliefs are. Um, that doesn't change uh, the fact that something very bad is going on here associated with these murders. And it helps you possibly solve crimes, um, pursue people, or maybe even prevent crimes when you simply understand what's going on in their head. You know, it's like working like a profiler. You don't have to be the crazy guy, but if you understand what they believe and what's motivating them, it helps you figure things out. So, you know, um, with these books, someone who would be a believer will get a lot out of them. Someone who's a complete skeptic, I think, can still get something out of them and see where we're coming from. I want to ask, uh, because we're kind of running a little low on time, but I want to ask about the H.P. Lovecraft connection. Ah, yeah. Uh, That's like Luke's favorite subject. He loves H.P. Lovecraft. (laughs) He's pretty cool. He's pretty cool. All right, but I got some bad news for you. (laughs) (laughs) He's got some people that he's hung out with that are just obsessed with H.P. Lovecraft. Lovecraftian. (laughs) You know, every year, for a few years, I've been attending uh, for a while. I I didn't do it the last couple of years. Um, But uh, for three or four years in a row, I went to the Lovecraft Film Festival out here in San Pedro, which is an awesome event. And they've moved it up to uh, May now for, for Beltane. <laughs> and um, uh, so, yeah, I'm a Lovecraft fan of his writings, and, and I yeah. still am. But, yes, in Empire of the Wheel 3, I revealed the Lovecraft connection to all of this. And, you know, no, it's not entirely flattering, um, but I think it also qualifies the criticism. You know, um, I, I just presented honestly what I found and what my analysis is and you know it's Lovecraft might very well have been see the murder of Harry Houdini was a process essentially um, there's an excellent book by authors Kalish and Sloman called The Secret Life of Harry Houdini that really goes into this in detail and essentially the murder of Harry Houdini was a poisoning process and the punch to his stomach was the uh, the operative move that you know was the kind of the final straw they had right. been poisoning him and getting his body to the point where the assault, the physical assault, uh, burst his appendix and spread the poison they'd been putting into his body, spread it into his bloodstream where they, and they knew he wouldn't survive. That was essentially the plan, and it succeeded. And unfortunately uh, for Mr. Lovecraft, uh, you know, he and Houdini had done some writing business together. Um, Harry Houdini and his wife had dinner with Lovecraft um, just like a month or less, a few weeks before Houdini died, and they came away from that meal with food poisoning, so to speak. Best did seriously, and Houdini had some too. And um, again, I say now, I say in the book, H.P. Lovecraft did not murder Harry Houdini. However, he there's a reason to suspect that he might have messed with him and spiked his food with poison or, or yeah. you know, uh, and and I go into the details as to the circumstances and within the context, but it's there. And you know you can't, you know he 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 also might have been aware of what happened in San Bernardino in 1915 through uh, Clark Ashton Smith and the uh, the 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 wife of uh, Clifford Eddy, um, an associate of his who lived here in Redlands when she was a kid. 
Um, so uh, just in the few years before and had a connection here to Southern California. So the, the book goes into all of this. Um, the, the book goes into um, Frank Rosasco, the gentleman who was arrested on the train, actually very possibly being the model for the classic Lovecraftian hero, um, you know, protagonist, I'll say, you know, who encounters something very strange and loses his mind or is obsessed with, you know, these elder you know, beings for the rest of his life, that kind of thing. The book goes into all of that, Empire the Wheel 3. Um, but, uh, yeah, Mr. Lovecraft, you know, he was an interesting character with some serious flaws, but with brilliance also. You know, there's a lot that we that we haven't really covered, you know, too, like the, you know, the Lovecraft stuff uh, going into, you know, his whole Cthulhu mythos and whether there's some connections with some of these occult things, like, you know, you do the the subtitle of Empire of the Will Three of the Nameless Ones and what exactly that means. Exactly, uh, um, the book goes into uh, uh, as as Peter Lavenda um, in in his book. Um, oh my gosh, I apologize. I'm doing a brain dump. It's in my book, the Peter Lavenda book. It happens to us all the time. Don't worry about uh, it. <laughs> all um, you know, he he revealed some amazing stuff. Um, Lavenda reveals that Lovecraft had to have based, um, well, the way I argue, Lovecraft had to have based Cthulhu on Crowley's writings of, in 1907 regarding this entity called Tutulu, um, yeah. you know, this, this entity at the bottom of the sea. And, and my book goes into the comparisons that show you how nearly identical they are. And, and a lot of that, you know, is revealed by uh, Lavenda in much greater detail in his amazing book. Um, the Dark Lord, I think it's called. Um, and so, yeah, Empire of the Wheel 3 goes into that. And again, what else? It's association to the airship mystery. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we'll leave it at that. But, uh, Walter, uh, l let everybody know uh, where people can contact you and also, you know, where they can get they can get your books and okay. what you're working on now. Well, the, the, the books are available either um, on, for Kindle on Amazon, and I'd like to remind everybody you don't have to have a Kindle device. Amazon gives the Kindle app away for free. You can download the Kindle app for free onto the device of your choice, your computer, your smartphone, whatever. You get the Kindle app for free, and then you can buy the books, um, the digital versions of my books uh, at Amazon for Kindle. And also, you can get the printed versions the printed editions, if you prefer a printed book, at lulu.com, that's L-U-L-U.com, just put the titles in, put my name in, and you can get printed ones. They're very nicely done books. Um, I'm, uh, you can look me up on Facebook. I recently opened that up to be found, you know, publicly, um, and, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's pretty much, uh, you know, where, where you can find me. So if, you, if you're on Facebook, just, uh, you know, do a request, and you know, or send me a message if you have a question or something. But um, yeah, I've, I've just kind of corresponded with you in the last few weeks, and we were talking about I'd hit something up, and I'd in your in your book, and I'd ask you about it. So uh, also, let's talk about the ley lines here in Tennessee, the telluric lines here in Tennessee. That was interesting as well. So <laughs> add that. Find them. If you want to find. Um, Go on the National Carousel Association's website. I think it's nca-org or .org, nca.org or yeah. something, but it's 
National Carousel Association, they have a map of all the old carousels um, all over the United States. Find the one nearest you. Let me know where it's at, and I'll let you know if it's on a ley line. Okay. Well, you know, we, we talked about uh, uh, in our messages, like you told me, Chattanooga. Uh, that's where I'm from, Chattanooga, ah. Tennessee. And they're actually in one of the parks there on the river. There is a carousel that was built there recently. What? Yeah, well, back in the back in the late nineties. I'll I'm tell you what. You send part. me the details of its exact spot, and I'll let you know. I wouldn't be <laughs> Here's the thing. I find mostly um, that the old carousels are placed on these uh, ley line spots, but that does not preclude or prevent anybody from placing one nowadays there, of course. Yeah. You know, there are mod I found modern ones on there, too, but uh, it, it's really interesting how the old ones are very often placed on those spots. When we had Adam go rightly on, uh, I think like the second time we had him go on, he talked about your Disneyland book a little bit, and he talked about somebody that he knew that had a mystical experience on one of the, it was either a carousel or one of the rides. Uh-huh. Ah. I'll have to ask him about that. Yeah. Because I had my strange experience, of course, on the carousel before they moved it. Um, but I'll have to ask him about that because that place is but He very... may have been talking about, he possibly may have been talking about you. I'm not, I'm, I'd have to go back and listen to that show. Yeah, that was it. Maybe he was talking about my experience with the old man Alfred, which is in the book. It's all in the book. And, of course, the Disneyland book is um, digital. is only 99 cents. It's, you know. Yeah. It, uh, what was your experience on the carousel? What did I experience on the carousel? Yeah. Nothing that appeared to be overt. Its significance uh -huh. really became wow years later when I did the analysis and realized what might have happened. But basically, um, there was a man standing there watching that I noticed that was watching the carousel go around. And then after getting off the carousel, I and my two friends encountered him again, almost like he was waiting for us on a bench. And um, it, it's it, like I said, it's all in the book, um, but uh, it's just this old man who seemed amazed at his surroundings there in Disneyland. He had never been there, and uh, basically 11 or 12 years later, I look at a, the first book written on ley lines, and uh -huh. it's, it's written by a guy with the same first name, and when I open the book and look at the photograph of the author, it was the man I met at Disneyland. 12 years huh. the, the problem is that that man in the book had died about uh, 45 years really? yeah, before I encountered him at Disneyland. Wow. So there that's you go. Crazy. There's wow. one of my stories for the skeptics to make fun of, and, you know, that's a gift. Yeah. Well, we do, we, do, we do talk about ghosts on the show from time to time, so... Well, Walter, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we're going to close out this segment, but uh, uh, can you stay on, just stay on the line for us just for sure. a little bit? And, Thanks for uh, having we'll be, me on. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thank and you, we'll, we'll be right back on Conspiranormal. Normal. All right, we're back on Conspiranormal. Normal. Uh, it was one long show, but uh, very well worth it, I believe. Yeah. Uh, just real quick, we're rapidly just kind of running out of time, and we're we're wearing at the edges here, but uh, I have uh, in a couple of weeks uh, may have noticed that there anybody that was listening that there was no Eric Altman show. He actually had to cancel because he had a family emergency. So that has been rescheduled till um, about uh, next, not this coming Saturday, but the next Saturday. So anytime after that, you'll be able to hear our cool show about Bigfoot. 
Um, and then after that, we have Dr. Michael Heiser coming on, and then I'm working on getting guests on for May. And so that's pretty much those announcements. And Luke has something he wants to share <coughs> where everybody can hear us, all the places that you can hear us, download us, and download us from. So take it away, sir. We want to thank everyone for listening to Conspira Normal. And I want to mention some places for you to hear the show and download it if you like. Um, IntrepidParadigm.com FringeRadioNetwork.com ConspiraNormal.Podomatic.com And don't forget to give us your feedback at Facebook slash ConspiraNormal. That's right. And also maybe add ConspiraNormal at Gmail.com That's our uh, that's our email address. Send us some uh, Send us some cries of outrage to there and let us know how bad or how, how good we're doing. And also, um, on iTunes, uh, iTunes reviews, uh, you have to go to the Conspiranormal uh, iTunes feed, not the Fringe Radio Network iTunes feed. But if you want to leave a review there, that actually gets us up high in the ratings, gets us a little more exposure. So uh, just all give us all five stars, please, because, you know, we're just that good. Uh-huh. But uh, <laughs> we're going to call it a night, guys. Uh, join us in a couple of weeks. We're going to go and explore the realm of Bigfoot. And we will be back on Conspiranormal. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line 
prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.